Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome into Hoopsville. I hope you are uh, joining us on this December the 1st, whether it be live. Well, welcome, I should say, whether you're joining us on this show live or on the podcast. Welcome into the Hoopsville broadcast again on December 1st. We hope you uh, enjoy the show tonight. I am literally rushing in <laughs> the studio. We were, uh, or I was busy with uh, other responsibilities this evening. I'm your host, Dave McHugh, coming to you from the WBCA NABC studios. Coming to you thanks to Blue Frame Technology as well, our broadcasting partners, and of course, um, many others that we will thank along the way. If you got questions for us, tweet us at D3Hoopsville or hashtag Hoopsville. Email us Hoopsville at D3Hoops.com or join us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Hoopsville. Lots of ways you can chat with us. We hope you'll take advantage of those. You can hear us uh, live on our OTT app, so you can see me with a remote now trying to mute that broadcast so it doesn't interfere with us. You can, because of Blue Frame technology, and heck, we'll go to that graphic here uh, real quick as well, you can, you can watch us on Team One Sports, whether it's on the Apple TV, Roku app, Android TV, or Amazon Fire TV. Those are your options. And we hope you'll take full advantage of them, as it were. Um, we're also live streaming on Facebook and on um, YouTube. I saw some people pop onto YouTube and, and then come off. I know you're on Facebook, so welcome in, everybody. Hope you're enjoying it. Um, lots of ways to, to, to watch the show. It, it's just that simple. Um, we have lots of ways of interacting with us, whether it's on Twitter, it's on email, it's on Facebook. Uh, you name it, we'll find a way to, to talk to you about it. Um, so join us. Let's talk about tonight. Uh, because I knew it was going to be a little bit challenging tonight, uh, we did take a um, different tact, as it were, with things. Um, I decided to kind of almost kind of set up the show um, with topics we knew were going to be easy. So we're going to talk about some things that were literally, uh, what's the word I want to, they were off-season stories um, that got plenty of attention. And they're still making waves, as it were, to now. And we will be probably talking about both of them to some degree the rest of this season, and certainly one of them to a larger degree for a few more seasons. Those two topics, the first one being Scranton women's basketball. Um, you know, Trevor Woodruff was one of those surprising departures uh, in the offseason. He left for Bucknell. Of course, Aaron Russ Roussel, who had been the Chicago coach who had gone to Bucknell, had departed Bucknell for Richmond. So Trevor Woodruff leaves, and they need a new coach, obviously, at um, Scranton. Scranton has, has gone through the years with um, people who know the Scranton program, know the Scranton school, know the Scranton system, etc., but they didn't this time with women's basketball. Went with Nick DePillo, who is a, a D1 assistant coach. Now, from what I've gathered from a few emails I've shared with Nick, uh, he's very excited about the job and looking forward to, to, to this opportunity. I don't know more than that, and so we decided we're going to bring Nick on the show because I think that decision by the currently third-ranked Royals program is a fascinating one. There is no right or wrong, I don't think. Um, there's, it's funny, you, you read the, the, the Scranton posters on D3 boards, there's a mixed bag on Trevor Woodruff. And of course, he got into the Final Four last season. And under Trevor, I was very impressed with what that program was able to do. Nonetheless, um, 
you know, this move to Nick DePillo, I think is different. So we will talk to Nick about why he was interested in a job, why he thinks he may have been chosen, and what he hopes to accomplish with the program as a result. The other one, if you don't know about the MIAC news, boy, we have a lot to talk about. Of course, the MIAC decided in the offseason to um, let go, if it, as it were, St. Thomas. They pushed him out of the league, surprising many, I should point out. Um, I'll probably make this reference again. Today, there are these rumors spreading that the Queen of England has died. There's a statement saying that these are blasphemous rumors. How could you? She is well. Long live the Queen. And I was reminded, I think this was what it was with the Mayak case. I had heard some rumors for several months I would argue beginning around January, maybe February of last year. And I didn't take him seriously. He was almost the polar opposite. And when I did start taking him seriously and started snooping around, some of my sources didn't take him seriously either. And from what I'm gathering is that was the reason St. Thomas might have been a little bit behind getting um, people supporting them in line. And as a result, they didn't get their ducks in a row and got essentially shoved out of the Mayak. Now, obviously, it won't happen. It's not happening now, and it won't happen next season. It'll happen after that. But then there's also a D1 move ahead of them. So we will talk to John Tower, the men's basketball coach at St. Thomas, about that that decision um, and where it leaves things. How do you keep a team focused, or, or an athletics department, bigger picture, focused on the job at hand? of trying to win games, win conference games, position themselves in the conference when you're, and obviously student-athletes, you're not going up against student-athletes who chose for you not to be in those conferences, but you're going up against schools who decided to to oust you from a conference. In the meantime, there's constant stories about St. Thomas's future. How do you keep them from distracting you? Uh, D1 is a big topic now. The Summit League has said that they are helping St. Thomas possibly move there. And this decision could come up in the middle of basketball season. So John Tower will join us to discuss those things. And then Bob Quillman will join us to do our top 25 breakdown. Uh, Ryan Scott will not be here tonight, though Ryan Scott was down at um, Christopher Newport for the tournament down there, and it featured today Saint uh, Stevens Point defeating Christopher Newport, the number 11th ranked team in the country. Christopher Newport beat Texas Dallas yesterday. Speaking of which, we have breaking news to share on that front. Give me a moment. I see some people in the chat room. Hello, Mark, uh, 76 grad. How you doing, sir? Uh, now he's a Guilford women's basketball. Co- I, I knew, but I knew that side uh, grad uh, parent, I should say. Um, so we've got some. Hold on, we got some breaking news on Texas Dallas. I'll come back to that in a second. But again, we have these top twenty-five teams that have lost. So we'll talk about the top twenty-five teams in a bit. Again, Bob Coleman will join us later in the show. We'll do our dubious deep dive and debatable teams, um, and we'll talk women's basketball on that. On I'll, I'll kind of give you a sense of where I think things may be on that topic but let's go back to the breaking news ryan scott telling me terry butterfield has told him that's head coach of texas dallas that he does not expect demetrius underwood back this season they don't think his wrist is in good enough shape to play this year 
Quote from Butterfield, I expect he'll use the medical red shirt and be back for a fifth year. So remember, that was a topic we had on the show earlier this season. What's going on with Texas-Dallas? I certainly had ranked him in my top 10 in the preseason based on the fact that Underwood was part of this team. He was in our data as being a player back. Uh, many others had felt the same way, plus a lot of good talent on that team. It looks like Underwood will not return. Now, remember, if he plays more than, and really, I've got it confirmed that nine games he's done. Um, I, I got that confirmed because of because of Johns Hopkins. I've seen them twice this year, and um, their guard, Connor Delaney, remember, broke his ankle or foot, I think it was, in game 10 last year. He did not qualify for a redshirt one game too many. If Hopkins had made the playoffs, he may have gotten that redshirt. So Demetrius Underwood, he, he can't play more than a minimum of nine games this season, and it looks like he's not back. And I think that changes Texas-Dallas a bit. I still think they're a good team, but it changes them quite a bit. may make them a fearsome team next year. Um, but that's big news. They lost to Christopher Newport, um, did Texas-Dallas, uh, this weekend, yesterday, I should say, at the tournament down there at CNU. Texas-Dallas, in the meantime, today, um, where are they? Sorry. Uh, did defeat Wilmington 83-55. Interestingly enough, Stevens Point had a battle with Wilmington yesterday, but then defeated Christopher Newport today, 61-58. This is a Stevens Point team. Bublitz is back. Uh, he basically is the one that got them the win against Wilmington. Um, I think they're good. I don't think they're going to be as good as everybody thinks they're going to be. Don't read that into, you know, oh, Dave's knocking on Christopher on Stevens Point. There's just, I, I think they're not going to have the, the horsepower as much as the Platvilles and the, other, uh, the Oshkoshes uh, of the WIAC. And, and granted, we've undersung Stevens Point in the past, and they've come roaring in, especially in the WIAC. We'll see. But I, I just have a gut feeling. So I think this might be more about Christopher Newport, to be honest. Um, so just something to keep in mind. We'll keep an eye on that. By the way, again, you can email us, hoopsville at d3hoops.com. You can uh, tweet us at d3hoopsville or use the hashtag hoopsville. We'll do our best to keep track of any questions you may have. If you're on the Facebook and or um, uh, what's the, Facebook and or YouTube streams, you can chat with us there. We'll certainly try and, and interact with you in those spots. Um, so there you go. Uh, I don't see any mentions of us, I don't think. Um, so we'll keep an eye on, on that and all that fun stuff. Uh, so back to the 25, uh, the top 25. Amherst lost to Westfield State this week. Uh, that's a game that is going to hurt Amherst quite a bit. 68-67, that game was at Westfield State. Um, I, I, I moved Amherst to sixth this past week, and I didn't like them being that high. I had them at eight, and I didn't like them that high in the preseason. Uh, I kind of, we'll talk with Bob a little bit about this, but I kind of did the Bob thing, you know, and, and you know, if so-and-so beat so-and-so, and that says something, I did a lot of shaking around, and it was a tough ballot. Um, Swarthmore had a semi-easy week. They got past uh, Washington College by 12 and beat Arcadia handily by 17. Uh, Emory won three games this week, very different games, 67-62 against Covenant, 124-112 against Pfeiffer, and 95-82 against Maryville. Uh, they're 7-0. Uh, 
Uh, Wittenberg in the four spot beat Oberlin. Uh, Wittenberg's only played three games. Um, Middlebury uh, is 7-0 with a win over uh, no one really worth talk, you know, writing home about, though they got past uh, Northern Vermont University Johnson 87-77 and got past Endicott in 98-78. Nichols got past Trinity of Connecticut, which was interesting. St. Thomas got past Carrollton. Again, we'll talk to John Tower coming up. Nebraska Wesleyan went 2-0 this week. North Central uh, beat Rose Holman, then lost to Benedictine in a crazily low-scoring game, 56-49. Then defeated Olivet 93-53 in Kalamazoo 75-60. So North Central now 4-2. and two. That's going to have the, the voters scratching their heads. Marietta got past Mary Baldwin. Mary Baldwin. Baldwin Wallace. I apologize there. Uh, we mentioned Christopher Newport 1-1 one one against Texas Dallas and Stevens Point. Randolph-Macon is 7-0 with a win over Randolph, and it wasn't even close. Oshkosh is 4-2 and two with two wins against Edgewood and Lawrence. I think that's going to not give the voters much information. St. John's passed St. Mary's. Wash U had a good week, including a win over Augustana today, 73-70. Worcester lost to Mount Union, 81-67. Um, Worcester might be a little high at 16, but Mount Union is undersung, to be honest. I think they're a really good team. Augustana got past Whitewater, mentioned lost to Wash U. Platteville had... Uh, a ho-hum week, really nothing to write home about, though Cardinal Stritch gave him a game. Guilford uh, won two games this week. Augsburg lost to Lacrosse but beat River Falls. Whitman beat um, Johnson, Johnson and Wales, Denver 102-62, and then lost to Colorado College yesterday, 95-92, if you can figure that one out. Hopkins got past McDaniel. I saw them in person and then beat Moravian. That Hopkins team, 82-62, it doesn't show indicative of how that game got a little tight near the end. Wabash uh, one and one this week, beating Mount St. Joseph's and losing to Elmers, who's I'm so, I think will be ranked probably next week. Whitworth didn't play this week, and WPI got had a two and zero week in the receiving votes category. Rochester lost to Hobart. Texas Dallas lost to Christopher Newport, as we mentioned. New Jersey City lost to Colby, eighty one sixty seven. New Jersey City's doing this thing again where they've got all the talent, but they're not closing out games. And now, you know, word is that Colby's a solid team, and I, I don't doubt that Colby's a solid team. But listen, if New Jersey City is good as Everyone there would like you to to know they need to win that game. Um, Wheaton lost to Ripon in overtime. New Jersey City lost to Stockton. They're two and three. Not New Jersey City, sorry, TCNJ. Um, and Williams lost to Albertus Magnus. Uh, um, yeah. Women's side, they end up top 25 craziness. Transylvania lost to Maryville earlier this week. Uh, Augsburg lost to Puget Sound. Platteville lost to Coe, 62-50. Uh, Wheaton lost to Birmingham Southern. Illinois Wesleyan lost to DePaul. Granted, DePaul's ranked number 11. In the receiving votes category, Texas Dallas lost to Austin. Wash U lost to DePaul. Wisconsin Lutheran lost to Concordia, Wisconsin. Haverford lost to Catholic on Tuesday before Thanksgiving. And Capital lost to Washington Jefferson. So some really interesting results there on the women's side as well. Um, so, yeah, craziness, to say the least. A little bit nuts uh, this Thanksgiving weekend. So, again, really a bit of a rushed show today. Uh, I had to call a Navy women's basketball game, two of them this weekend, yesterday and today. Um, and so I, I <laughs> we literally rushed in the studio, did some really quick cleaning up because this place was a bit of a mess during the week as we tried to upgrade some things. Um, and now I'm here, <laughs> as it were. Uh, give me a second. Give it a little boost. 
to our audio, try and give you a little bit more. Um, when we come back, we'll take a break. We'll talk to Nick DePillo again, of Scranton. Still ahead, John Tower. We'll do a double segment with him uh, regarding his team and the Mayak decision. And then Bob Quillman will be joining us later in the show. Kind of left it loose. One, in case segments go long. But two, in case you've got questions, we're happy to try and answer them here uh, for you, if at all possible. Um... We'll keep an eye on some other news that I just received. i got to figure out what it means, but we'll get back to it. So there you go. We'll take a break. When we come back, we will chat with Nick DePillo out of Scranton. You're listening to Hoopsville, presented by D3Hoops.com for the WBCA and ABC Studios. More Hoopsville when we get back. Football has taught me a lot throughout my life. It's definitely had a huge imprint on who I am as a person. Competing at a Division III level created that opportunity for me to go to college. Not only was I the first one in my family to graduate college, but I was really the first one to even go. Being the first one, I'm breaking that cycle, and, and now that I've graduated, I'm not sure what's the next step, but I know I have a lot of doors open. And a lot of those are open because I played football and ran track here at Otterbein. College basketball lives in Kansas City at the College Basketball Experience at Sprint Center. The College Basketball Experience is the place to get your game on. It's not a museum, it's an experience you won't forget. Discover the history of the game in the National Collegiate Basketball Hall of Fame, featuring the Gallery of Honor, Mentor Circle, and Honor Theater. Suit up in the latest CBE logoed Nike gear at the CBE Hoop Shop. Elevate your game today and visit the house that College Basketball built. For the love of the game, but for those of us who are Division III student-athletes, it's more than that, a lot more. Sure, the game is important, but as we work so hard to build both mind and body, it's more about team. That is why NCAA Division III teamed up with Special Olympics, and in giving the gift of sport to those for whom it seemed an impossible dream, we are working to make this a better world. Help us keep that dream alive. You can make a difference. I'm a Division III student-athlete, and I know how powerful words can be. The term gay doesn't mean stupid, lame, or less than. So I pledge to speak up if I hear the term gay used in a derogatory way or any other homophobic terms. If you can play, you can play in Division III. I'm a Division III student-athlete, and my teammates unconditionally accepted me as part of their family. So now I pledge to do the same for others. If you can play, you can play in Division III. We are the coaches of women's basketball. We are leaders and teachers, dreamers and winners. We are professionals who conduct ourselves ethically and with integrity. We place the education, safety and well-being of the athletes we coach above all else and teach them the fundamental values they need to succeed in life. We are coaches united for the good of our game and those who play it. We are the WBCA. Great moments are born from great opportunity. That's what you have here tonight. That's what you've earned here tonight. 
This is your time. Now go out there and take it. I did receive a non-athletic scholarship upon entering uh, school. I got the presidential scholarship, which was huge for me. I think there's more opportunities for academic scholarships in Division Three. I did receive academic scholarships. Just being involved on campus, being a leader, all those things combined kind of get me recognized. It's a great experience for me. Welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody. Hope you're enjoying the show. If you got questions for us, tweet us at D3Hoopsville and hashtag Hoopsville. Email us Hoopsville at D3Hoops.com and join us on Facebook, Facebook.com slash Hoopsville. Um, I hate to start the segment on sad news, but we will have to do so. Um, I said I got a, a bit of news I wasn't sure about. Uh, first reported by Josh Verlin, who's out of the Philadelphia area, says, please spare a thought on Twitter or a prayer for longtime Cabrini assistant Bill Wiley. Currently in a coma, this was uh, tweeted about an hour or so ago, uh, after suffering a heart attack yesterday, Bill's been a local small college coach for more than 30 years, one of the nicest guys around. He then later retweeted a tweet from Coach Tim McDonald, says, please keep our assistant Coach Bill Wiley in your prayers. Coach Wiley went into a cardiac arrest yesterday, and we'll need everyone's prayers to help pull through. I'll update everyone when I can. We will try and keep an eye on that if there's anything new. Cabrini men's basketball basically tweeting the same. Um... So some tough news, certainly there. We don't see any update, but granted, this all has happened in the last hour. So we'll keep our, our thoughts uh, with Coach Wiley and the Cabrini program um, as much as we can. A uh, quick note, you'll notice that the Brockport jersey is hanging over our shoulder, mainly because a couple of the other jerseys we have, when I went to hang them, they weren't, they weren't sitting right, so we'll have to fix them. Um, but it's not the John Carroll jersey. Uh, Chris Wensler out of the hospital after go, undergoing the extreme... Um, Cancer treatment that he's going through. Again, the SID at John Carroll. Uh, he's out. He made it home for Thanksgiving. He will be back later in December, and we will hang the John Carroll jersey once again. We do have a hat ready to send to him. If you want to send hats, John Carroll is the place to go. We have we have tweeted out information about that. Also, there is a uh, GoFundMe fa uh, um, um, fundraiser to raise money for those who are... Um, well, for his family, to help, to help with bills and to help with other things as Chris has been sidelined. Uh, so a little rough news there to start, but let's uh, move on to the next segment. Mid-Atlantic region, women's basketball. Scranton certainly has been the top dog. Had some some others who are battling with them, but they've been the top dog over the years. Trevor Woodruff did a really nice job taking over the program, but he did leave for Bucknell, as we've mentioned. And again, Scranton kind of went outside the, the system, as it were. Went outside of... of People who, who have known the Scranton system from a personal point of view, even Trevor Woodruff, as Gordon Mann pointed out on a show previously this season, you know, had grown up going to Scranton games and knew the Scranton athletics program pretty well, even though he had attended and was coaching at Misericordia, which is close by. Nick Napillo, technically, you could argue, may not have had as much experience there, but that's why I wanted to learn more about the, the women's basketball coach. He graduated from FDU Teaneck in 2003, and now he runs one of the best programs in Division Three. after many years in D1 as an assistant. He joins us in the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline. And, Coach, thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Uh, welcome to the show. 
Dave, thank you so much for having me, and, and thank you for so much all, for all that you do for uh, you know for our game and promoting it, and um, you know bringing awareness to it. We really appreciate it. Well, I appreciate that, Coach. Thanks so much. Um, very curious. Well, let's just start with the basics. What attracted you? to the job at Scranton and, and give everybody a little bit of a sense of where you came from, as it were. Yeah, so, you know, I, I spent the last five years at Seton Hall. Um, I had spent uh, five years with New York Liberty and the WNBA as well. You know, I think when every assistant, you know, get, kind of breaks into coaching, at some point they always think about, you know, running their own program and, and kind of like the older you get, you try to figure out what that really entails and, and what that means to you. And for me, you know, wherever I, wherever I ended up as a head coach, regardless of the level, you know, I needed support of the university. And obviously starting with Dave Martin, our director of, uh, director of athletics, um, Bobby Davis, our vice president of student life, um, you know, the University of Scranton, the, the support that we get from, you know, the university is phenomenal. And, and obviously the support that we get in the local community is, is terrific. Our fan base is, is loyal. They're um, very interested. They're very, um, very, very supportive in, in, in a lot of ways. Um, you know, I needed to be able to recruit high-level student athletes, and, and I think the academic reputation, you know, here at Scranton um, is, is very, very appealing, especially in the health sciences department. Uh, we, 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 we draw a lot of our interest from recruits in, in, in that area. Um, and obviously, I wanted to be able to compete at the highest level possible, and I think, as, as you kind of alluded to, the history of Scranton women's basketball, you know, kind of shows that you can do that here. So, you know, once the, the, the position opened up, and I kind of did, you know, my due diligence and research into it. You know, it really checked all those boxes for me. So the reason why I was interested, to be honest with you, it was really, really easy. And then once I got on campus and I got to obviously meet Dave and, and the rest of the athletics department staff and, and obviously meet the players, you know, for me it was really home run. Yeah, it, again, it, did anyone discuss the fact that this was a different take uh, on things for the Scranton program to, to you know, have uh, someone who wasn't as tied into the community coming in and taking things over? Was that not really part of the conversation? Yeah, you know, it, it really wasn't part of the conversation. I mean, you know, Dave kind of made it clear to me from the very beginning, you know, he wanted to get the right person for the job who had a plan for obviously continuing the amazing success that Trevor had and, and keeping it going, you know, far beyond that. And I, I think he was really impressed with, with my vision. I was obviously really impressed with everything the university had to offer. Um, obviously, the, the returning players, you know, I inherited an unbelievable mm -hmm. uh, returning roster, um, you know, not to mention, you know, uh, a really solid freshman class who's come in and, and been able to contribute right away. So, like, like I said, you know, Dave made it clear he wanted to hire the best person for the job. And, you know, I, I think our visions really align, and which was made it such a natural fit for us. Yeah, we'll talk a little bit more about the team, certainly. You mentioned your history. Again, Keene was a couple of years there where you started as an assistant. So it's not like you're unfamiliar with Division Three, But sure. to, to, to take over your first program, and, and you're, you're right, most assistants, at least at some point, have the idea of wanting to be a D1, uh, or not D1, a, a head coach, period. To dip your toes into the into that water, though, by taking over a program that's, you know, perennial a top ten in Division Three, and in the last few years has perennially been a top five, uh, that that's that's pretty big leap. And and I don't, you know, obviously we have respect for Division One and Division Two, but in my world, I would say that's like you know taking over a, a pretty strong Division One program in your first go round. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I would definitely agree with you on that. Uh, you know, like I said, fortunately, I have a really strong network of people in my inner circle. 
um, you know, who have kind of helped mold me and prepare me for this opportunity. Um, you know, everyone who I've worked for, you know, from Bruce Hamburger at Kane to Patty Coyle with the New York Liberty to even Tony Bazella, you know, when I was at Seton Hall, all of them kind of empowered me and allowed me to kind of grow and, and mold myself into the coach who I am today. And I just really think, you know, my experiences, you know, at the different levels and in different places working for different people kind of have me, I guess you say, uniquely prepared um, to kind of tackle this opportunity. Yeah, what I mean, do, do you do you think about accepting a job like this? Is this one of those where, in no matter what you're offered, you have to think it over to see if that's really what you want to do? And and when you do, who are the ones you talk with? Well, I mean, like I said, once we, once Scranton was identified as one of those one of those institutions that kind of checked all the boxes for me as a head coach, um, you know. The, the Scranton part was the easy sell. And, and I think, like I said, I, I spoke to Tony Bazella, who I was working for at Seton yeah. Hall. Uh, Pat Lyons was the AD at Seton Hall at the time, uh, along with Rochelle Paul, who was our senior, uh, senior women's administrator. Um, you know, I spent time talking to Bruce Hamburger, um, who I worked for at Kane. And like I said, a lot of pe other people in my inner circle. And, you know, the... The pros were just the list of pros were just off the charts for me, and, and, and it was hard to find the downside. You know, sure. it, the more people I talked to, and you know, obviously you're you're familiar with Division Three baseball as anybody. You know, there, there's very little downside. Um, you know, <laughs> as you're kind of listening to the pros and the cons. So for me, it was really about you know, once we accept the job. You know, let's hit the ground running, let's set a plan, let's figure out the style of play that we want, let's get to know the players we have coming in, and let's really hit the ground running with this 2020 recruiting class. And, you know, just kind of looking to build off the success that's, that's you know, that's been taking place in Scranton for such a long time. I mentioned you graduated from FDU Teaneck. I should point out, that's the FDU. We, we're just so used <laughs> to, you know, FDU Florham and, and there being other FDUs, as it were, uh, that yeah, I just... It, it, is the, it is the Harvard on the Hackensack. There, you go. there you go. And the Florham <laughs> campus is nearby. It's kind of a crazy setup the, way it, the way it is. Um, let's talk about this squad. You're off to a 5-0 and start, which is certainly a good way to get things rolling. Uh, defeated Ursinus uh, at, uh, at Gwyneth Mercy defeated Gwenda Mercy, who's always a tough team, but beat him 91-74. Um, you beat Kings, you've beaten Wilkes, you've beaten Marywood. No, no disrespect to those three, but those aren't necessarily the toughest, but they're the closest to, uh, teams. You will have DeSales this week on the road before heading to my alma mater. Unfortunately, I'll miss you there, but uh, at Goucher on Saturday um, before a little bit of a break. How, how are things? We'll get to maybe what you are bringing to the table in a moment, but how have things been getting out of the gate with the team? How has the team kind of adapted to you and, and whatnot? You know, listen, when, when you start 5-0, and there aren't a ton of things to complain about, you know, but I think <laughs> – I, I think, you know, whenever you take over a program, there's there so many things that you want to kind of evaluate and kind of figure out. And, you know, taking over a team that went 29-3 and three and went to the final four a year ago, you want to be sensitive to changing too many things because obviously they've had, they had some success at, at, at a really high level. But it's also important for me to, to kind of put my own spin on the way um, I think is best for us to play. So, you know, defensively, we've kept a lot of things um, similar to, to how they, they were under Trevor um, and his staff. But offensively, you know, we really wanted to pick up the pace of play and, and really kind of pick up our scoring numbers, increase the amount of possessions that we had. And, and i got to be honest, our players couldn't have been more receptive, um, you know, to the idea. You know, we're definitely a work in progress, and we have a lot of things that we need to iron out, you know, in the short term as we kind of look to get, you know, more and more polished as the season goes on. Um, but, you know, for – 
where we thought we would be. You know, right now, I think we're in a really good place just because we uh, we definitely understand the areas where we where we need to improve, and I think we have a pretty good plan of you know how we're going to get there. That's the one thing I picked up on. I haven't been able to watch a lot of games, but I have seen the scoring has upticked. Your fans have certainly noticed that it's a little bit more up tempo. Do you have the horses, because we've been using the word horses and horsepower already today, uh, do you have the players for that style, or, or are you learning that you're going to need to make some adaptions? Because, again, Trevor recruited for a team that under his ideas of what he wanted to do, and you're bringing something in that's a little different to that to that equation. Yeah, no no question. You know, to be totally honest with you, Dave, my hardest, my hardest decisions are figuring out how to trim my rotation. We, we really have a ton of depth. Mm. We have a ton of kids who, who have a lot of offensive talent, offensive ability. Um, you know, not only the seniors and, you know, upperclassmen, Taylor Rodriguez, our, you know, our, our sole junior, but we have a few sophomores and freshmen who, it, they're making it really, really difficult for me, uh, you know, where I want to give out minutes and, and how I want to figure out the depth chart. So, you know, it's definitely not a matter of do we have the horses to, to kind of do it. It's just trying to make sure that we settle on, you know, a consistent rotation where sure. the kids can kind of figure out how to uh, develop some chemistry with each other. Sure. Talking to Nick DiPillo here, head coach of the Scranton women's basketball team in his first season as head coach. Um, you, again, have had teams pretty low scoring uh, the last two games, 42 and 35, respectively. 74 is the most against a good Gwinnett Mercy squad, so the defense obviously is there. Uh, is there still some growing pains with the team, or, or are you guys settling in? I know 5-0 and looks good. I, I get it, but still, you know, we haven't really hit the toughest part of the schedule yet. Yeah, no, absolutely not. And, you know, obviously we have a, a huge game coming up uh, down at DeSales, and, you know, we're really excited to – um, test ourselves against one of the better teams in our region. Um, you know, we were, we were talking about that in practice today. You know, and I guess to answer your question, you know, there, there are, there's a lot of work for us to be done. You know, obviously on the defensive end, you know, this team takes a lot of pride in their ability to shut teams down and, and hold teams to low numbers. Um, you know, offensively, even though we've played pretty well, you know, we, we understand there are a lot of mistakes that we're, that we're going to work to correct. Um, you know, continuing to pick up our pace and, and to be honest, you play a little bit faster as we kind of go. Um, you know, continuing to learn how to value the basketball, something that's really important to us as we go. Um, and, and just, you know, like I said, you know, figuring out the chemistry, the right line of combinations, who we want to play together um, and, and at what times. And just kind of figure out how to integrate the sophomores and the freshmen, you know, with our upperclassmen just to kind of be as productive as we possibly can be. Mackenzie Mason leading the team with 14.5 points a game. Emily Sheen at 13.5. Those are two of your four seniors. Uh, Emily Sharina, the sophomore, at nearly 12 points a game. Then you have two freshmen in Bridget Monahan and uh, Kira Quigley at 9.2 and 7 points a game. So you certainly are, statistically, getting those other players involved. Uh, the, the underclassmen, I should say, in they're all playing at least a half a game, uh, if not more. Is is that how this is going to play out? Where you, it's kind of senior laid, but you've got those underclassmen who are going to pick up the weight when necessary. Yeah, yeah, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head with that. Obviously, our four senior starters, you know, Lily, Emily, uh, Mackenzie, and Sophia, they've played in really big games. You know, they understand the hard work that it takes to get to the final four and, and, and to be, you know, four-time uh, landmark conference champions, I say three times for them, but four in a row, you know, as a team, um, you know, they, they've earned the right, you know, they compete every day, um, you know, they're probably some of the most coachable kids I've ever been around at any level. Um, they crave coaching. You know, they want to be corrected. You know, they're, they're really, they're really excited. They were very, very excited to start this year to kind of, 
um, you know, leave their mark. You know, they have an opportunity as crazy as it sounds to go out as one of the winning classes, winningest classes mm-hmm. um, in, in Scrant women's basketball history. I've been to a, a Sweet 16 and Elite Eight, and most recently a Final Four. Um, you know, there's a lot of pride with those four seniors, and you know the, the opportunity and the task ahead of them. You know, this year it, it's not lost on them, and uh, everybody else has kind of just fallen in line because of their unbelievable leadership. Uh, backing up a little bit, what was it, what was this process to introduce yourself to the team, and and were they involved in the process to begin with, and how did the introductions go? Yeah, you know, um, I guess backing up to the interview process, there were a handful of the, uh, of the players on the on the committee, so I had an opportunity to to kind of get to know some of them um, throughout the process. You know, and once it kind of became official that, that I was Dave's choice for the position, I was able to reach out to all of them. We, we had extensive conversations um, just about what my style would look like. Obviously, I had a pretty good feel um, just from having watched the film uh of the previous year's team, what they were about and, you know, the style they were used to. And, and there was just a lot of idea sharing, you know, me just kind of telling them what I expected, um, them kind of telling me what they've been comfortable with and, and where they'd like to be pushed to. And once everybody kind of got back to campus, you know, the last, that last week of August and we kind of sat down for the first time, um, you know, the, the energy was really palpable. I mean, this, this is a very um, excited group. They're a very prideful group. Um, they take a lot of pride in what they do day in, day out. And, and like I had touched on before, you know, they're excited to go out um, at, at the highest possible notes. Yeah, again, we talked about the fact that you had a little bit of Division three experience, but you're, you're, most of this has been either pro or NBA. How, what's the adjustment been like for you? You mentioned meeting them when they got back to school, but let's be honest, that's it. You don't get to really kind of interact or, or coach or or instruct, as it were, for the most part. I'm being a little bit simplistic there. Um, until sure. October 15th, you know, if you're D1. You're you're quite used to talking to them nonstop. The moment, even in the, even when they're not on campus. Yeah, yeah, and you, like I said, you definitely hit the nail on the head. That's the hardest adjustment, obviously. You know, coming from a Division One level, you have access to your kids throughout the summer. You know, then they go home for a couple weeks in August, and once they get back, you're back in the preseason conditioning and individual workouts and things of that nature. Um, you know, for us, it was just the excitement that builds up to October 15th. You know, a lot of my friends who coach at Division Two, Division Three level, you know, they would talk about it all the time. I never really understood it, but until it's October 11th and 12th and 13th and the 14th, and you're just itching to hit the floor and, and kind of start teaching and, and kind of get, start kind of start going. You know, especially with a new group. You know, especially when you're trying to teach a, a new system for the first time you understand the expectations that you have before you um with such a a, an accomplished group um you know kind of the biggest difference like you said was definitely waiting until october 15th to get to get it all started um but now with 29 practices and five games and two exhibitions in and you know we we feel no different than any other division one two or three school in the country um it's just a matter of getting better every day and and kind of trusting the process that what we're doing is, is the right way and you know keeping our eyes on what's directly in front of us Talking to uh, head coach Nick DePillo here of Scranton as they uh, go marching towards, as we said, uh, you know, the rest of the season. Again, I'll miss you at Goucher as you start Landmark Conference play. You then have Elmira on the 18th and 19th. 
We play Rosemont on the 21st. Then we'll see you at the D3Hoops.com Classic in Vegas. And you've got George Fox, who also has a new head coach, and then St. Vincent before you come home and do the rest of the of the conference grind, as it were. I know you didn't have any control of this schedule. But what have you done in terms of research? And what, what do you expect for what is uh, an interesting schedule the, the rest of December and into January? Because interesting enough, it looks like you got a break until January 11th before you play after the Vegas classic and i might be wrong because I'm, I'm looking at our schedule and I'm, no no you're, you're, okay. you're, you're absolutely that's you're just, absolutely right that's not prototypical usually you know you've got some games in early january yeah so you know, I, I was just with him so i don't mind my throwing on her bus but you can thank trevor for that <laughs> um he kind, of, he kind of set that schedule for me Zoom. um you know we i i love the uh the schedule that we have you know obviously i wish we had um you know a game or two prior to kicking off conference play again in january but um you know there, there's a great mixture of, of local teams uh nationally ranked teams and and i love the opportunity to go out to vegas to, to play out there with obviously against George Fox to, to, to start off, you know we've I've had an opportunity to to scout pretty much everybody on our schedule to this point, um, but you know every level I've been at, uh, and, and this really hasn't changed at all. The first you know five, eight, ten games are really about yourself. You know, obviously we want to prepare for our opponent and understand their tendencies and what we can take away and what we can exploit on the offensive end. But we, but we really need to figure ourselves out. We need to nail down our rotations, um, continue to get more sound in our offensive and defensive schemes, continue to grow individually and as a team. Um, so when we do hit the ground running in conference play that second week in January, you know, we're a lot more of a closer to a finished product than where we are right now. Um, and I think that really holds true even extra, you know, this being my first year with this group. And, and such um, a style change, especially on the offensive end for us. You know, we've we've spent a lot of time focusing on ourselves, um, probably more so than we normally would uh, with teams that that you know go that are with me year after year. Um, but you know, it's been a great process, and, and, and I couldn't be more proud and impressed of the way our kids have, have attacked every day. Well, Coach, thanks for the time. I appreciate it. Um, look forward to – I wanted to see you. I was looking forward to seeing you at Goucher. Uh, unfortunately, other schedules got in the way. I don't know why they decided to put that game on Saturday. This, uh, that's just horrible scheduling. I, that's all. That's all. That's, I blame the conference. I'm with you. <laughs> um, good luck the rest of the way. Obviously, I'll see you in Vegas um, and look forward to that as well. We have a tradition on the show. We always give the guests the final word. Any final thoughts you want to share with those? Maybe tuned in. No, you know, I just want to pre- I just want to thank everybody, you know, for, for their support, uh, the people within and, and outside of the Scranton community. Um, you know, we, we both myself and my coaching staff and, and our players, we, we understand um, the passion that, that our fan base has and, and we're, we're so thankful to um, to have everybody's support and we're, and we're looking forward to growing as the season goes along. This is not a knock at your faithful. I, I wish more schools had fans especially from their area who are as passionate but man sometimes they're they're crazy (laughs) sometimes and i mean that with all the respect in the world because i wish i had fans like that at my alma mater uh and i know lots of schools wish we had that kind of support so i I say that tongue-in-cheek just understand that and we we love it dave honestly we love it it's it's one of the many things that makes Grant such a great yes. place to be yes. is, the, is the support of the local community and the fans. Just do me a favor. Keep Dave Martin in line for me, will you please? I'll do my best. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> Take care, sir. Safe travels. Good Thank luck the rest Dave. of the way. Look forward to seeing you in Vegas. 
Thank you so much. Nick DePillo joining us on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsaw Hotline. Appreciate him taking the time. Folks, if you sense that our audio is odd, please let me know. Uh, we got a new toy to make our audio sound better, but we didn't get enough time to test it. And I got a note from our broadcasters that maybe it's a little off. Anyway, let me know. Um, back to Scranton again. 5-0 and start. They'll play to sales this week. Big test coming up uh, midweek. Uh, then they, or It's a Tuesday game. Then they're at Goucher. Um, it's a Goucher program that's probably going to be near the bottom of the conference, to be blunt. And, yes, it's my alma mater, and I'm quite sure the head coach is listening, and she knows I'm being honest. Um, but still, it starts conference play. Then a tournament uh, where they'll play Elmira and somebody else on the 18th and 19th, and a Rosemont game on the 21st. Some random stuff there in December for Scranton. Then they're going to play George Fox and St. Vincent, as we mentioned, the D3Hoops.com Classic. And then they, 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 they get a break until January 11th. You go figure that out. All right, so that's Coach DePill. Appreciate him taking the time. Take a break. When we come back, John Tower joins us from St. Thomas Men's Basketball. We'll talk not only about the team, the start of the season, but the elephant in the room in Division Three, getting kicked out of the Mayak in the near future. You're listening to Hoopsville, presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC Studios. More Hoopsville when we get back. Being a part of the different activities and organizations that I've been a part of, I'm actually able to see myself where I'm like, hey, I actually can make a change. I'm one person that can make a difference. Division three has helped me to develop teamwork skills, critical thinking skills, time management skills. It's not just about basketball or it's not just about school. It's about developing yourself as a person altogether. My name is Marcus Walker. I was All-State, won a state championship, a high school All-American, and played college and pro ball. I play because I love the game. I grind to be the best. I sweat because I put in work. I'm strong because I believe. When I want to bring it before game time, I come to the house that college basketball built, the CBE. No matter your skill, take it to another level. Elevate your game right here at the College Basketball Experience at Sprint Center. For the love of the game, that's what it's all about, they say. But for those of us who are Division III student-athletes, it's more than that. It's more about team and the schools and communities we represent. And for the many of us blessed with the strength to compete in sport at the college level, we understand that with what we were given comes a special obligation. An obligation to help those who have their own special needs and whose love for the game is no less intense. That is why NCAA Division III teamed up with Special Olympics. Since August of 2011, we and others from Division III campus communities have volunteered more than a quarter million hours, time away from the classroom and practice field, reaching across the country to coach and mentor Special Olympics athletes. And to learn that in giving, we receive so much more in return. Help us keep that dream alive. Be part of it. Get involved. You can make a difference. It's on us to stop sexual assault. In any way that we can. To get a friend home safe. To never blame the victim. It's on us. To stand up. To make our community safe for all. It's on us. It's on us to look out for each other at parties. It's on us. To be more than just a bystander. To step up and say something. It's on us, all of us. To, to stop, stop sexual assault. Learn how and take the pledge at itsonus.org. I used to never really talk. Ever. I was scared and shy. 
uh, it was hard to look at people's faces. Uh, I was afraid if I said something wrong, everyone would laugh at me. But then I started to play golf with Special Olympics. I made friends and won lots of gold medals. But I learned more than just playing golf. Special Olympics helped me to find my voice. And now everyone else is speechless. Welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody. Hope you're enjoying the show. If you've got questions for us, tweet us at D3Hoopsville and hashtag Hoopsville. Email us, Hoopsville, D3Hoops.com. Join us on Facebook, Facebook.com slash Hoopsville. Again, back to the news we just were talking about earlier. First, uh, Demetrius Underwood looks like he is out for the rest of the season uh, at Texas Dallas. Uh, Coach Butterfield saying that he doesn't expect him to be back. That's significant, I feel. Um, you know, they, they just don't think he's recovering from the uh, from the wrist injury as they expected him to. Um, we'll keep an eye on that, but that's the latest. And then out of uh, Philadelphia area, Cabrini assistant head coach Bill Wiley apparently in a coma after a cardiac arrest. First reported by Josh Verlin, uh, who's the lead content writer and for NSMS Sports Information. He does a bunch of stuff in the um, in the Philadelphia area. He also runs, I believe, it's called Hoop Love. Um, that was confirmed by Tim McDonald, the head coach at Cabrini. So um, our thoughts are with them, to say the least. Uh, again, got questions for us? Tweet us at D3Hoops or our hashtag Hoopsville. Email us Hoopsville at D3Hoops.com. Join us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Hoopsville. It was in mid-tweet. We'll get it out in a second once we bring our next guest online. So the other off-season news that certainly made waves was the Mayak. Uh, we mentioned the beginning of the show. I had started hearing, hearing rumors about January last year. Maybe something was amiss. And I, I'll be honest with you, I dismissed them because I had heard this rumor before and it, it went nowhere. I think our next guest could probably tell you I've called on this rumor several times over the years. Um, but don't quote, don't quote him or quote me because I don't, I don't remember sometimes who I talk to when I'm chasing uh, rumors. Uh, but by the end of the basketball season, that rumor felt a little bit more solid. And we started chasing it, and we found out there was a lot of fire to where the smoke had been. And long, 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 long story short that we will be talking about for years to come, uh, the Mayak, um, majority of the Mayak had chosen that they no longer wanted to deal with St. Thomas, a charter member in the conference, and essentially pushed St. Thomas out the door without a vote, did not do it in public. Presidents who quote transparency, uh, or should be transparent, decided not to talk about it, and then pushed everybody, including the media, to do the Mayak office and told the Mayak office not to talk about it. You go figure about that. We can dive into that left and right, but that just keeps John Tower on the line longer. He joins us on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline, and, and while John doesn't have a lot of answers, he, he might at least be able to chuckle with me. And, and when I say, John, th could this have gotten any crazier? Well, it's been very interesting, Dave. There's no doubt about it. And it's... Um you know, it's been a kind of a wild time at St. Thomas, but 
You know, I've been a part of the MIAC for 24 years as a student athlete for four years and an assistant coach for 11, and this is my ninth as a head coach. And so certainly a conference that's been uh, near and dear to a lot of our hearts and have, you know, lots of friends, colleagues, old teammates, and competitors. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a special conference. So it was, it was sad and disappointing, but it... Uh, you know, the, the old cliche, it is what it is, and we're uh, we're in the middle of a season right now and love coaching the guys that I'm coaching. So we're we're moving forward. We're excited about the future of St. Thomas and um, love, the, love the team we have right now. Uh, you kind of said it there. It's about the season. So I want to start there, uh, and we'll talk about the MIAC a little bit later. I do want to get some of the ideas about the future because, as everyone may remember, you're a professor uh, with an incredible you know kind of psychology point of view on things, and I know that's how you've approach coaching. So we'll talk about the Mayak later. I do want to talk about the team because you guys are off to a really good start right now. Five and one on the season. Your one one loss coming to Whitworth on your trip out there to play Whitman and Whitworth. Weirdly enough, you caught those two teams, and this isn't a knock, but you caught them. I almost feel like those two teams are in transition for varying reasons, and you go out there probably booking that, thinking about the Whitworth and Whitman teams that had been for the last four years. Well, I don't. I guess I don't know what you mean by transition, but they're. they're <laughs> well, <laughs> Whitman's lost a lot they're... finding new players. Whitworth yeah. has a new coach finding a new way with having lost a couple players as well. How's that? that that's very true. I, I guess I chuckle because when when you look at what Whitworth has done for the last, you know, right, countless years, and what Eric has done at at Whitman. Um, you know, th- those teams have been outstanding, and the two teams we saw at West are, are both outstanding, I think, and have great years. So it was it was a challenging uh, trip to start the year, but it's kind of been our philosophy is play the best teams in the country, and uh, we'll find out what we're good at and what we're not good at and help our help our guys improve. Hey, you guys ended up going one and one out there, beat Whitman 87-79. It was interesting. It was, Ryan Scott was watching more of the game than I was. Um and and he was talking about the fact that you guys seem to be the first team in a number of years that really just kept Whitman from doing what they wanted to do. You obviously had all summer to prep for them <laughs> to some degree and figure out Eric Bridgen. Was that uh, the to- the right way of looking at it, that you guys kept them from doing what they wanted to do, or was there more to it than that? Well, I, don't, I mean, Eric and I are good friends, and we played them four times this decade. Um, I think their class last year, I think they won more games in four years than anyone in the history of Division Three. So what he's done there has really been remarkable. Uh, and Ryan sent me a nice text about that, and I said, I think I responded tongue-in-cheek at Ryan. We just had 22 turnovers, which is probably the most <laughs> we've had in you know five years. So while I was thrilled to escape with a victory, and I did like how tough our guys played, uh, I didn't think we took very good care of the ball mm-hmm. for a team that, you know, traditionally that's been one of the things that we've really put a big emphasis on. But I, I do think our guys, you know, we didn't get rattled. We had more turnovers than we'd want, but I thought we were able to um, do a decent job of getting back in transition. And uh, like we've joked with them, we'd rather they just throw the ball out of bounds and throw it to the other team, and we can at least get our set our defense set up. And so yeah. it was. Those were those, that was a great game. Whitman plays a fun style that. 
uh, it seems like two games because it's just the, the pace and um, the talent that they have. And Eric's, you know, Eric's system is one that uh, it's unique, it's different, but it's uh, it's really, really effective. I love watching them play. Well, to be fair, I think they usually force about 30 or more turnovers. So at least you were on the under um, against them. Again, they took on Whitworth uh, two days later at their place, uh, traveling over. And that game didn't go as well. They beat you guys 85-64. Is that a, a sign that that Whitworth team is just that darn good under not a new head coach? He's been an associate head coach there for a little while. but Or is that a sign that you guys a little tired on a long trip to start the season? Uh, well, I might have been the three-hour van ride. I got to drive a van, which I tried a to stay away from as much as possible. Well, yeah, we had three vans, and Coach Keating and Coach Biker. We were all driving back uh, from scenic Walla Walla to Spokane. Um, <laughs> you know, and Damien's been there. He was there with Matt for yep. Yep. Uh, a long time. Matt and I took over as head coaches the same season back in 2011. And so we know their program well. Uh, they got, they've got they got an outstanding team, and they just outplayed us. I mean, I, early on in the game, it was, I think we were ahead 8-2, to two, like five, six, seven, seven minutes into the game, I think we were ahead eight to two. It was just ugly. Um, and then we continued to play sort of ugly and they, uh, they played very well. We shot four twenty-eight on threes. Uh, yeah, our sports information director, Gene McGivern always gives me great stats on that one. I think he told us we shot worse than we had in 17 years, which, um, oh, when you're in charge of the offense, which I am, that means Gene's telling me you better pick it up. Um, <laughs> But but Whitworth Whitworth is great. Their their guards really controlled the tempo. Um, you know they had one kid, Jordan Lester, had 15 rebounds against us. I think from a guard spot. So I was I was really impressed with both them and Whitman. And and again, the different styles, different approaches, but the kind of games that we love to play because early in a season it exposes you for all the things that after a month of practice you feel like you're in a decent spot, and then you go against somebody else, and um, they teach you some really really valuable things. Speaking of Gene, you sent some great tips or great notes along. Some of them are about you. Some are about the history of the team. I want to get to those. But the current team notes it really jumped out at me. First, we got to remember, you guys graduated three starters from the 24-5 team last season that got to the Sweet 16. And, and, and I know when I saw that, it certainly gave me pause. But then I remembered the last time you graduated a bunch of players, and we were still good. So that was in mind. The other one that jumped out at me is you've won 21 consecutive games en route to the Mayak crown last year and then eliminated the number one ranked Nebraska Wesleyan team on the road. I forgot it was 21 straight last season. Uh, of course, Anders Nelson, the rookie of the year for D3Hoops.com. Eight days ago, this team sank 19 three-pointers in an 18-point win over the aforementioned Nebraska Wesleyan. Um, you've only lost to Whitworth, who you talked about. You shot poorly. Uh, this team is, the starters are averaging 43.5 points a game. I find all of those stats fascinating for what you lost in the three starters after what was an incredible season last year, especially the tail end as you guys made that run, what is it about you guys that you can continue to reload and, and stay in the fight, as it were, even when you lose incredible talent like you did last year? Yeah, that, I mean, I think we talk a lot about sustainable excellence, and that's a, that's a goal that a lot of people aspire to. It's not easy. Uh, it puts a lot of, you know, sometimes pressure on kids where they know, hey, I'm following in the footsteps of some guys that did some remarkable things. And, and yeah, last year going into the year, I think we were picked fifth in the conference and ended up 
um, winning the regular season title and you know guys like Michael Hannon and Connor Bear and GT Johnson those were guys who were freshmen on the 2016 national championship team and really didn't play meaningful minutes on that team but they were they got a chance to to watch and learn from you know veterans like Ryan Sarla, Cortez Tillman, Grant Schaefer, Taylor Montero. I mean those were guys that when you look at the history of our program I think the nice thing is that we're not reinventing the wheel. We we're fortunate to have good depth. We have a junior varsity program, and so I think year over year, there are probably some freshmen and sophomores in our program who are learning from some of the better players in the country. And you know, our hope is that can help prevent significant drop-offs, even when you do lose three great players like we did last year. And you know, right now we're playing ten guys a game, and. Um, they're all playing, I think they're playing between 13 and 28 minutes a game and they score between five and 14 points a game. And it just, it's, it's the way I like to coach and play is up tempo with depth and balance and unselfishness. And, um, you know, I, I think it's a fun way to play. I think it builds teamwork and camaraderie. And our guys really buy into it. Yeah, you got ten guys with thirteen points or, or thirteen minutes or more in a game. And the other note that Gene sent along was, you've been, in the six games, you've had six different players either lead the team in scoring or, or tied the team in scoring in each individual game. You certainly are sharing the wealth, as it were, out of the gate, and that's a huge factor moving forward because it, it gives a lot of guys the confidence that they can be there on any given night. Yeah, and he Gene digs up some of those stats that are pretty incredible. Um, because when I looked at the list, I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool that we've had six different guys. And, and they weren't the six guys I would have guessed. I really, our <laughs> players could tell you, I don't pay much attention to points as long as the guys are playing the right way. And so I'm always surprised by who has a lot of points and who doesn't. Um, but the six that have led it, I would have probably guessed two or three other guys. And so I think that is the thing good about that. You know, in our 10-man rotation, we trust all of them. They're all versatile players who can shoot it and they play together and it you know it just for me coaching our staff I know it, it's really refreshing to see uh, guys buy into that play where they know that none of them are going to score 20 points a game and mm -hmm. um, that, you know some of those individual accolades may not be there as a result but I think they they really love playing with each other and for each other. In all respect to Tommy Anderson, Elijah Hanna, even Ryan Lindbergh and the rest of the seniors and juniors Anders Nelson has been one of these guys. You seem to get them, these point guards who, who can run the show even from day one. As we mentioned, he was the rookie of the year for D3Hoops.com, freshman of the year, I should say, for D3Hoops.com. There was something about his game that stood out to us. He's leading the team in scoring now, though, as you said, lots of guys are contributing. What is it about him? What is it about his game um, that made him so seamlessly roll right into that leadership, that leadership spot, even as a freshman? Yeah, I think you're right, Dave. We've had a great run of point guards. I mean, if you go back the last 15 years, oh. it's been pretty incredible. Um, some of the guys that we've had and guys that have been, you know, two, three, four-year starters who um, just sort of the consummate point guard. And, and some of them score more, some of them pass more. Um, but I think the common thread is they all put the team, you know, the team first. And Anders, you know, last year as a freshman, he stepped into a good situation where um, we didn't necessarily have a point guard coming back, and he sees that opportunity. He led us 
how about that? As a freshman, he led us in points, assists, steals, and rebounds. Yeah. So five foot eleven guard, and he led us in rebounds. Now that might be an indictment on our other guys, um, <laughs> but he he's just a kid that loves to play basketball. Uh, he's a gym rat. He loves to study the game. He's his own. You know, he's his hardest critic. Um, and it's just it's fun to it's fun to coach guys who are really passionate. You know, you you don't have to ask him to play really hard. You don't have to ask him to be curious. And so he's certainly been a catalyst for the team. And, you know, we have four sophomore guards in our rotation. So he's a sophomore guard that gets a lot of attention. But, you know, Riley Miller last year had 54 assists, 12 turnovers. I think he was second in the country in assist-to-turnover ratio and, and played a lot of minutes for us. And then Zach Tyson and Kevin Cunningham are two more sophomore guards right now coming off the bench. Mm. and both doing a great job so we have you know if they're not the big all four of them they probably all claim they're six feet i think all four of them are about five ten um but they they just play their hearts out and you know anders is a joy to coach but these other guys i can tell you that they push them every day in practice just a couple guys john nance eric tengwall uh these are just the last three grant schaefer um just the last three that i can think of uh looking for uh, yeah, stats. marcus alapate oh, yeah. tillman tillman yes uh, Tyler Nikolai, Nikolai, Sean Sweeney before that. And we've had, there have probably been eight or ten point guards, and I may be forgetting one, but uh, it's it's been, you know, we it, it, the reality is you're not going to get, at least most teams aren't going to get a lot of six-foot-eight guys in Division <laughs> three, And so as a result, you know, I think that's part of why we've built our program where we've been fortunate to have a lot of guards and we play a style that um, I think is conducive to allowing them to, to make plays and have freedom, but while playing in a really unselfish way. Talking to John Tower here of St. Thomas head coach, talking about the team. We'll, we'll, we'll kind of wrap things up on this segment, talking about the Mayak in the sense of what do you expect this season? Augsburg looks to be a, a good, solid team this year. St. John's is also going to be a tough team. They're 4-1 right now, 2-0 in conference play. Uh, St. Olaf may stay in the mix yet again. Uh, there's others that, that could enter the equation, like Bethel. Uh, that we've seen last year. What are you expecting out of Mayak this year? I don't know if 21-game winning streaks are necessarily on the table. Um, yeah, Matt, I mean, hey, you never talk about those streaks. Last year we lost the opener at Brooklyn, and then we rattled off 21 in a row, and we had a young team. So I don't, you know, you don't you don't look at that as much. But I, I do think being in the Mayak as long as we have, um, you know how balanced every every conference is within its own conference much more difficult on the inside than maybe even outsiders know right so you can look at the Mayak and I think it's impressive right now there's three teams ranked in the top 25 we're one of two conferences that that have that um five different teams have made the national tournament in the last three years alone and so I think both of those are indicators of really the high level and, and balance but I will tell you that some of the other teams uh there's a lot of new coaches in the conference and some really good young teams so it's um you know, it's like anything. There's 20 games in the conference, and you only get you know you only get those opportunities given to you. So, you know, again, I hate to use cliches, but if you waste one of those opportunities, you're going to kick yourself at the end of the year. And I think our guys traditionally have been pretty good about being really focused and treating every game like its own entity and um, a unique a unique opportunity. So, all those teams you mentioned are going to be great, but the the ones you didn't, we play McAllister on Wednesday, and I can tell you that's that's the only one that we're getting ready for. Two a Woldeslaus who played two years for us and then two years at McAllister and he's their head coach and his top assistant Connor Nord was a star for us oh, back yeah. from 2011 to 2015 so um, those guys are coming about six blocks from McAllister to St. Thomas Wednesday night and um, you know that, that's our biggest challenge this week on Wednesday at least 
Well, I appreciate the time. We're going to take a break. I appreciate you sticking around with us a little bit longer to talk about the mic, but more importantly, talk about the now and the future, if you don't mind. We'll put him, Coach, on hold. And uh, when we come back, again, talk about the Mayak and where they are now, the future for St. Thomas, and how to keep everybody focused, not only on this team, but maybe throughout the department, on the now versus what's going on throughout uh, you know, the rumors and the speculations and all that. We'll take a break. When we come back, more conversation with John Tower on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline. You're listening to Hoopsville, presented by D3Hoops.com for the WBCA and NABC Studios. More after this. We are the coaches of women's basketball. We are leaders and teachers, dreamers and winners. We are professionals who conduct ourselves ethically and with integrity. We place the education, safety and well-being of the athletes we coach above all else and teach them the fundamental values they need to succeed in life. We are coaches united for the good of our game and those who play it. We are the WBCA. Great moments are born from great opportunity. That's what you have here tonight. That's what you've earned here tonight. This is your time. Now go out there and take it. It's on us. It's on all of us, and it's time to act now. It's on us to start the change. It's on us to be the change. It's on us. It's on Division Three. It's on all of us to stop sexual assault. It starts right when you hit the court. You imagine your finest moment. The game-winning shot that gets you to the dance. A monster dunk or no-look pass. And cutting down the net. Sports lets us dream of our own success. And prepare us for our finest moments on and off the court. I used to never really talk. Ever. Uh, I was afraid if I said something wrong, everyone would laugh at me. But then I started to play golf with Special Olympics. It helped me to find my voice. And now everyone else is speechless. Division three allows you to give yourself to other things. Having that free time allows me to pursue the things that I want to pursue. Division three athletics affords students the opportunity to, you know, engage in the other interests in their campus and in their lives outside of that sport. It allows you to just be able to do everything you want to do. How it wouldn't change it for the world. I learned a lot of valuable lessons playing college football. 
I never thought about the health benefits of exercise until I actually started to talk to coaches in college. It's not only just for performance, it's for life. My coaches instilled the importance of well-being, not only building up strength, mental health, getting enough sleep, eating properly, it's all what it is to be healthy. I decided that I want to go on a personal trainer and share my knowledge that I obtained in college about physical and mental well-being. I'm a Division III student athlete, and I know how powerful words can be. The term gay doesn't mean stupid, lame, or less than. So I pledge to speak up if I hear the term gay used in a derogatory way or any other homophobic terms. If you can play, you can play in Division III. I'm a Division III student athlete, and my teammates unconditionally accepted me as part of their family. So now I pledge to do the same for others. If you can play, you can play in Division III. Welcome back to Hoops. Hello, everybody here from the WBCA and ABC studios. I'm your host, Dave McHugh. If you got questions for us, tweet us at D3Hoopsville and hashtag Hoopsville. Email us, Hoopsville at D3Hoops.com, and join us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Hoopsville. Okay, so the off-season news was about the MIAC and the fact that a bunch of the presidents essentially decided to gang up, for lack of a better description, frustrated with whether you want to buy into the football excuse of losing to St. Thomas football by... Crazy numbers, despite the fact that there were two or three other teams in football. They were defeating the same teams just as badly. Or you want to buy into the fact that they didn't like that the school had gotten bigger. Uh, or you want to buy into the fact that uh, they felt that they were, they, you know, St. Thomas starting a, a nursing program, interfered with their nursing program. I mean, you go through the litany of things. Most of them, in my opinion, fall into the category, if you got to be kidding me, Kicking them out of the conference doesn't remove them geography-wise, doesn't remove them from recruiting. It doesn't remove St. Thomas in any way, shape, or form from interfering with whatever you think they're interfering with. The only thing it does is guarantee you don't lose to them and you move up one spot in the rankings. That doesn't change anything unless you want to make a commitment to athletics like St. Thomas has, like St. John's has, like some others have. But this whole decision has also got St. Thomas now kind of... In no man's land, joining us once again on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline is the head coach of the men's basketball team, John Tower. And, John, let me back up a little bit first and foremost and say, when did you kind of get a sense that these rumors that had always been kind of flying around for a few years were more serious than you realized? Yeah, I, I I probably was a little behind the curve. I mean, I think you you hear rumors and and most of them, well, like most things in life, they're rumors, and you rarely right. trust rumors. Um, I, I probably I don't know March April maybe it's it started to seem like it was very real and a serious probability. It certainly it certainly was in 2019. You know, I remember getting a call a couple calls from other coaches in the conference asking me if I was hearing much, and I I wasn't. Um, but I don't, you know, I think that's probably because number one, it's above my pay grade as a basketball coach. And, <laughs> you know, I'm not sure who was involved in those conversations. So I, it was certainly surprising to me and, and sort of, you know, when I said it happened quickly, I think it probably seemed quick from, um, the chair that I was sitting in, but I'm also not privy to all the conversations that, that went on over the years. I realize there may be some things you're not going to be able to answer, kind of like you're not privy to, to, to know all the information either, but when you hear something like that, that a conference wants to kick your your athletic department out um, for being too successful, how do you how do you wrap that around your head? Well, 
Well, I mean, again, it was disappointing because it's it's a conference that I, you know, I remember being an 18-year-old freshman and learning a lot of lessons from, you know, wins and losses we had in the conference. And um, from my perspective, the, the men's basketball race every year is incredibly competitive. And so... Uh, I think it probably was a confluence of factors when you look at, you know, many, some of the things that you mentioned, again, I don't know which ones were, you know, what was the catalyst and what was the tipping point, so to speak. But, um, you know, I, I think there was certain disbelief early on and, and like anything in life, and you move to the stage, you know, of acceptance where you, you know, you control what you can control. And, and then the next step is finding out what we do next. And I think, um, you know, our athletic director, Phil Eston, who's um, just an outstanding leader, and he took over in January and sort of walked into this, I think. Um, he's done a remarkable job of leading our department through a number of just tenuous times, right, from that decision with the MIAC to what's next in the short term to what's going to happen in the long term. And so we've been, I think, President Sullivan's leadership and then with, with Phil coming on board, um, it's been, I, I think, as good as it possibly could be in terms of how do you how do you study the ship? How do you make sure we do what we can right now? And then how are we forward thinking um, going into the future? You mentioned you weren't privy to all the conversations, obviously. Um, but do you feel that this was there was a better solution that either you know either this could have been resolved without having to get to this point that maybe the other schools could have just left if they were really that unhappy or something else could this have been come up with a better idea than saying hey you're too good goodbye well i think there's always a lot of different solutions right rarely in life do we we always tell our players you don't have only two choices in life mm -hmm. whether that's to work hard or not or you know to to play unselfishly or not i mean usually there's a multitude of options in life and i'm certain that a lot of different options were considered um you know in in uh i teach a course in social psych and a course in motivation and one of the things we come back to repeatedly is that people are generally motivated by self-interest and incentives and that i don't mean that in a negative way or a positive way just that each of us is looking out for ourselves and those closest to us and i think at some level each university is entitled to do that it doesn't mean that everybody's going to agree with everybody else and so i think probably at some level um you know different universities and colleges were looking at at things from um what's best for them and and certainly it's not i can tell you it's not what we wanted at st thomas sure. but but again, moving forward, it's uh, no different than we would tell our team after a tough loss. When we lost to Whitworth, you know, we didn't hang our heads. We said, okay, let's figure out how we're going to get better for St. Scholastica and Nebraska Wesleyan um, coming up. And, um, you know, I think that's what, that's what we're doing long term. And, and um, Dr. Eston is, is leading us in that way. And, and in the short term, we're keeping our teams focused on the here and now and the journey of the 1920 season. One more question about the summer, and then we'll talk about the now and the future. But is there a sense that this wasn't really something the other school coaches or departments felt the same about? You know what I'm saying? Like this, that this was sometimes we see decisions made by administrators or those higher up who get something in their head, and it doesn't necessarily represent other other members of that institution or do you think it did have that feeling further down the chain at those in individual schools yeah I mean, that's an interesting question we'll never I don't, you know we'll never take a vote on that but when you think about the you know the couple dozen coaches at 
of the 13 different Mayak schools, you'd, you'd have hundreds of people. Um, you know, I only have my sense of my social circle within the Mayak, and my sense was most people were not uh, in favor of the decision. But again, that's that's a biased sample, and that's sure. people that I talk to. And so it, it's hard for me to gauge that, and, and so I'm not trying to avoid the question, but more to say, no. you know, I, I don't know what all the other coaches think or the athletic directors or, or the presidents, but I think at, at the end of the day, I think, um, uh, I do, you know, there are a lot of great coaches in the Mayak and I think they love competition. And so, um, it's hard to speculate on what, what they think is sure as a whole. Talking to John Tower, head coach of the St. Thomas men's basketball team, obviously talking a little bit to you and there's lots of voices in the department, but how has the department reacted to this? How have coaches reacted to this and, and what's been the focus going into this season, knowing you've got two more years in the Mayak, um, but knowing that this is now a huge distraction, and not because I'm calling to talk to you, but because your local newspapers, which, by the way, I applaud, have done a very good job covering this, aren't letting it go either. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, when you look at our program and, and the 22 programs at St. Thomas, um, that is a unique challenge, right? What we're going through right now is every year is it's, its own journey and its own kind of chapter in the the story of the history of a, a school and a program. But this is sort of uncharted territory, right? When you when you talk about coaches, you can call on for advice, and I certainly have a handful of you know people I'd consider mentors who have been through a lot. Um, this is one that's a little bit more unique. Um, I think by and large, our coaches have been very positive and, and it's been a, I think a bonding experience for all of us because we are the best sounding boards for each other, right? Mm-hmm. To talk about how do we keep our teams focused? How do we provide when you think about what we're trying to do with intercollegiate athletics, how do we provide the best student athlete experience? And that shouldn't change, right? What we're going through at St. Thomas right now, regardless of what happens down the road, our duty in my view right now in the short term is to provide our students this season with the best experience possible um, and I, I feel really good that I think the coaches in our department are doing just that. How do you keep everybody focused? How do you keep your team focused on that? Now the Mayak schedule has started for you guys. Uh, you only have five out-of-conference games. Uh, <laughs> now that you've got this started, you're now playing these teams. Some of them, not some of the schools rumored or basically called out as being the catalyst for a lot of this. And I know that that's not a student-athlete, student-athlete thing, team versus team thing. No one's going to go take it out on that school. I, not that, but it brings it to the forefront. How do you keep everyone focused on just worry about now? I, I want to talk about the future in a minute, but how do you keep, keep these players going, don't worry about two years from now, just worry about right now? Yeah, well, I mean, I think there's, you know, number one, you talk about it, and it's the elephant in the room, but you do talk about it. We talked about it at our first meeting this year that, you know, this is a reality. We don't know what's going to happen going forward. What we did know in September is the guys in this room were playing in the MIC in Division Three this year, and we have a unique opportunity. And, and I, you know, I sort of tongue-in-cheek asked Elijah Hanna and Tommy Anderson and Tom Madison and Nate Stenger, our four seniors, how much – you know, they were worried about what was going to happen long-term. And, you know, they said they didn't care. I asked the juniors. They said they didn't care. Now, they're going to care as alums a lot. But 
my point was just to illustrate to all our young guys that yes, there are some questions, you know, and those questions are for the athletes. There's questions for the coaches, right? We, we live in the same world. And, and so my only request to them was let's honor the seniors and let's make this the best possible year we can, because it's the only time this group of guys is going to be together. And then at the end of this year, we'll step back and, and see what's next. Um, but I think it's one of the things we've always focused on our program is just focus on, you know, what's next, what's in front of us right now. And I think our guys have done a great job of that. Like, you know, they're, they're 18 to 22 year olds. I don't doubt that they think occasionally about the situation. Certainly I do, but I, I always try and catch myself and just refocus and say, look, at this is what we're worried about right now is the 25 game regular season. If we play well enough, we'll get a chance to play another game. And that's our goal. Well, and the crazier thing about all this is that this story continues to have a twist or a turn anytime you come around the corner. Uh, you know, we started with the rumors that you guys were going to get kicked out. Then there were the rumors was it was falling apart. And we can talk about all of, all that led up. There wasn't any vote. And then you guys end up deciding we're just going to step away and you know, basically a compromise. Everyone's like, all right, so where's the future? So and then there's talk about what the future could be. Could it be the Wyatt? Could it be somewhere else? Blah, 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 blah. Next thing you know, now we're talking D1. Also, now the Summit League is coming to the equation saying, we'll invite them in. We'll start the process to get them into D1. Every time we come around a corner, there's something else to it. it it's got to, for you guys in the department, got to just be a whirlwind. It is, and it's. I think it's another reason. The part I like about it, I think it's our teaching our guys. It's really a metaphor for life on, you know, control the things you can control and don't worry about the other stuff. And, you know, we. it's easy to say that it's harder to do that in the moment, but the reality is we have, we have no say over what's going to happen. Um, we didn't have a say in what did happen, and all we can do is be the best basketball program uh, that we can be and and that these guys can be the best teammates they can. And so that part of it, certainly when you see stories like that and you hear the news and the potential Summit League in Division One, um, I think that raises a lot of eyebrows, you know, throughout the Twin Cities and the state of Minnesota. Um, many of them very excited by it, others who have questions about it. And, you know, and again, at the, at the end of the day, um, I'm, and I, I know our players know this as coaches. We're committed to we play McAllister on Wednesday. That's what we're focusing our energy on. And when we're told something different, then we'll focus our energy on that. But it really does nobody any. It doesn't do anybody a service to to think about that stuff. And uh, you know, it, it would be a huge disservice not just to our seniors but to everybody in our program to to worry about that at this point. Certainly don't want you to worry about it. But I am curious. This summit idea going to D one. That is not the roadmap. Uh, we've all talked about the roadmap. You go to D2 for a number of years, then you go to D1. You need to be invited. Obviously, Summit League has invited you. This is something that has to be new. And to be honest with you, John, and you probably know this, this could easily be decided in the middle of the basketball season. You may have an answer in January or February from the NCAA on whether this is even a road you're allowed to go down, which will add a whole other distraction right in the heat of things. Have have you guys thought about what it means that in two years you might be starting to go D1? Well, I think at times your mind wanders there, certainly, and you logistically, put it this way, recruiting right now, we're in a really tenuous situation, right? Because yeah. you don't know where you're going to be in two years. Uh, talking to kids who are seniors in high school right now is uh, is challenging. Um, we could get the news during the season. It could be after the season. and. And again, the, when I look at our team and you have to see us practice, I think, you know, 
Some would look at it as that could be a major distraction. I don't think these guys are going to care about it. And what we've told them is we'll talk about it all at the end of the season. Like that's where we'll we'll regroup and look just like we would for any other season, right? So at the end of the season, then we're going to start pointing towards 2020, 2021. Um, and so I think what you're saying, Dave, is absolutely logical and makes a lot of sense. Um, I also know I'm I'm much better at my job if I just focus on what's in front of us. And so. Um, you know, the division one talk, it, we'll see what the NCAA decides. Um, but you know, it's in their hands. And, and again, those are things that are <laughs> well, well above, uh, my pay grade. Sure. I could ask a lot of questions about this. Cause I mean, for, for your freshmen and your sophomores, this would impact them the most for coaches like yourself. This changes the ball game. You talk about talking about seniors. You could technically be allowed to be talking to juniors or I think even sophomores. Uh, if the situation is right in recruiting, it changes that equation. Granted, no one's expecting to be in the top 25 in D one, uh, in your first or second year, but, um, I'll, I'll leave you with this, and I realize I'm, I'm, I'm kind of putting you in the corner a little bit, and, and you answer how you wish. You're, I trust you in your judgment. Is D1 the right move for St. Thomas in the sense of, is that really the type of school that St. Thomas was designed to be, or is really D3 its home, and maybe a conference like the WIAC is the best move here? Yeah, that, I mean, I think that's a complicated question, and and I I'm not going to avoid answering it, but I do think when I look at our president, our athletic director, our board of trustees, right. I mean, those are those are questions that really, when you're talking about the vision and, and not just the short range, it's the long range vision of a university. Sure. Um, and I, you know, I, here's the other thing, Dave. I think here's what I do know. St. Thomas, and I'm biased because I went there as a student, and I've been a professor and a coach there for 20 years. Our commitment to academics isn't going to change. Our location sure. is not going to change. No. Our commitment to excellence in athletics isn't going to change. So the division we play in may or may not change. But what I am confident is that the university will not compromise its ideals or its values, um, regardless of where we end up. And I, I do think sometimes that's uh, a misperception that it, you know, Division Three. We know all the wonderful stories about our student athletes. I think oftentimes in the media, the Division One student athletes, you hear about the bad stories and the kind of the misconduct. If you dig deeper, you find a lot of unbelievable student athletes at Division One, Two, and Three. And, and so that's what I am confident in is, you know, when you trust an institution and you trust your leadership, that we're going to land in a spot that. Um, you know, is not necessarily one we asked for, but it's going to be one that moving forward we're going to embrace and um, be really excited for that challenge. John, this segment went much longer than I anticipated. I really appreciate chatting with you normally, but I most certainly appreciate the time you spent with us to talk about not only your team, but this complicated thing that is the MIAC. Hopefully, as we get a little further down the road, we'll talk to higher ups when they feel more in, in you know, when we feel like it's more inclined to chat with them. So I, I really, from the bottom of my heart, appreciate the time you took to join us. And and uh, just a heads up, though, you go to D1, you're dead to me. You, you know that, right? <laughs> I mean, you I'm a D3 guy. Against the Tommies. Dave, you usually pick against the Tommies anyway. Well, so everyone that, says that. I pick against them, so I might as well just keep the theme alive. <laughs> Apparently, I, I pick against everybody. <laughs> I, I think my alma mater thinks I pick against them, but for good reason. But, uh, uh, John, really, John, I, I appreciate it. Um, I hope we run into each other, if not this season, next season. If not, i got to make that trip to Minnesota for sure. Uh, you know this. As always, give the cast the last, uh, the last word. Any final thoughts you want to share with those tuned in? 
Well, just in the spirit of Thanksgiving, I would express a ton of gratitude to our players, my assistant coaches who do an incredible job, Mike Keating, Josh Rodenbiker, Tim Jarmus, Wildeberg, um, you know, all of our families at this time of year who give so much during games and final exams the players are going through in holidays. And, you know, and we had an unbelievable turnout at the University of Chicago at that event with, with alums and, and families of, of our current players for our games against Nebraska Wesleyan and DePauw. So just, just, you know, obviously thank you, Dave, for what you do, but also thank so many people associated with St. Thomas that truly make it an incredible place to coach. Well said. By the way, if you are leaving for D1 by chance, can you at least get out to the Vegas Classic, the E3 Hoops Classic next year for us? Come on. Give us a we'll, final we'll salon. We, we still do need some games, so uh, See? We're, we're trying to fill our schedule. I'll give you two right there, middle, right there between <laughs> Christmas and New Year's. Come on, buddy. Come on out. <laughs> to do it for us. I mean, I know you. I, I know you. Come on. You can do it. It was great seeing you wearing Hoopsville shirts at the championships when you came to the Hoopsville Classic. Now I'm just asking you to come to Vegas. Well, that's true. I just gave our players a lecture the other day on, you know, don't commit to anything before you know all the details. So they would laugh at me if I just said, sure, that Vegas sounds like a lot of fun at that time of year. <laughs> the details are, we're there, it's fun, great games, come on. <laughs> <laughs> Sir, I, I know, I'm putting you in a corner, but I appreciate it. Thanks as always. I know we'll talk to you down the road. Thanks so much for your time. I really, really appreciate it. Um, take care of yourself. Have a good uh, holiday if I don't talk to you prior, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for everything you do, Dave. Always a pleasure. Thanks, John. Appreciate night. it. John Tower joining us on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline. I really want to thank him for coming on. He spent more time than I was. I figured we'd talk maybe 30 minutes. We went way past that. Uh, so I really, really appreciate the time he took to talk to us about all of that. Again, we're not, we, we've reached out to some other individuals about talking more about this Mayak story. But there's a lot of people keeping their mouth shut. One, because there's not information that you can share. And John alluded to a lot of that. The second one is that one I talked about earlier, where the presidents who kicked them out said, you know, in the spirit of transparency, talk to the office, conference office says, we've been told not to say anything. Come on. I really wish those behind it stood up and talked about it, because I think it's just more shallow when you hide behind something to not talk about the issue. And I think this is an important issue. We can talk about a lot of schools that got kicked out of you know conferences or moved out of conferences or whatever. You know, Thomas More left the pack. There were a lot of reasons for that. That not just because they were good in a lot of sports. There were other things behind the scenes. There was travel things. They were the furthest one away. There were reasons to make that move. We can talk about Christopher Newport leaving the USA South for the CAC. But to be honest with you, that's a good move by Christopher Newport. You can sit there on top of it by saying, you know. Maybe the USA South was done with Christopher Newport. There were other extenuating circumstances. In this case, there were no extenuating circumstances. There were members of the MIAC who got tired of getting beaten by UST, decided to kick them out instead of them, in my opinion, should have gone to the Midwest Conference or somebody like that. It would have been a better move. But we won't dive further into it now. We can do it another time. Going to take another break. Bob Quillman joins me on the other side. We'll talk about the top 25 in our double take. Talk about dubious uh, deep dive and debatable teams. You'll listen to Hoops Hope presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA NABC studios. More Hoops after this.
discovered to myself is that if I have a goal, then I can accomplish it. It's a well-rounded experience. At a Division III school, you primarily a student-athlete, so the school is really shaped around you developing yourself as a complete individual. It helps a lot that you have a family with your team that can guide you. Cheer for the stumbles. The Heat should have had that. And the tears that linger. For in those moments, greatness lies. There, you will find the provoked, the determined, the unified. It's in those moments that champions are born. College basketball lives in Kansas City at the College Basketball Experience at Sprint Center. The College Basketball Experience is the place to get your game on. It's not a museum, it's an experience you won't forget. Discover the history of the game in the National Collegiate Basketball Hall of Fame, featuring the Gallery of Honor, Mentor's Circle, and Honor Theater. Suit up in the latest CBE logoed Nike gear at the CBE Hoop Shop. Elevate your game today and visit the house that college basketball built. Being a part of the different activities and organizations that I've been a part of, I'm actually able to see myself where I'm like, hey, I actually can make a change. I'm one person that can make a difference. Division three has helped me to develop teamwork skills, critical thinking skills, time management skills. It's not just about basketball or it's not just about school. It's about developing yourself as a person altogether. It's on us. It's on all of us. And it's time to act now. It's on us to start the change. It's on us to be the change. It's on us. It's on Division Three. It's on all of us to stop sexual assault. I coined my definition of success in 1934. My definition of success is peace of mind attained only through self-satisfaction and knowing you made the effort to do the best of which you're capable. It's like reputation and character. Reputation is what others perceive you to be. Character is what you are. We are the coaches of women's basketball. We are leaders and teachers, dreamers and winners. We are professionals who conduct ourselves ethically and with integrity. We place the education, safety, and well-being of the athletes we coach above all else and teach them the fundamental values they need to succeed in life. We are coaches united for the good of our game and those who play it. We are the WBCA. Welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody. Uh, broadcasting, you know, out of the WBCA and ABC studios. Also want to thank our partners at Blue Frame Technology. We'll get their read up here in a minute, but don't forget, you can go to blueframetech.com for more information on how to stream with them or use their production truck software. We're not using it totally there. Um, by the way, someone uh, messaged us. Um, seems like Nichols may be out without Cunningham. 
Uh, looks like he may be injured, says uh, somebody here. I just now realize why I didn't understand his message in the first place. Uh, thank you, Pat, for replying to him as I was busy. Seems like he may have uh, hurt his ACL and is done for the season. That's what they're hearing? Uh, maybe applying for a fifth year. Of course, we talked earlier about Demetrius Underwood is out, po- most likely for the season. Uh, that news coming from Ryan, who was down um, um, in uh, Vegas, or down at CNU, where Texas-Dallas was playing, and he talked to Terry Butterfield. So lots of goings on, as it were, in Division Three, and uh, we're trying to stay up on top of it. Uh, speaking of all of that, we'll bring in Bob Quillman on the Blue Frame Technology Skype Hoopsville Hotline. Uh, he is joining us uh, because Ryan was down at Christopher Newport, giving him Sunday off. Bob will join me here for the Top 25 Double Take. And, you know, first off, Bob, this is that time of year where injuries do pop up, and we, we have teams that kind of take a hit. North Central, remember Connor Reardon? Not that long ago had that happen to him. I think your alma mater has had that happen to him. We're now seeing this with Texas Dallas, possibly Nichols. Uh, this is where teams sometimes take a hit, but this also is maybe the best time for that hit because they can build themselves with other guys moving down the road. Yeah, I think you'd rather have it happen early, you know, like with Texas Dallas to try to figure out things without Demetrius Underwood. You have some time. Um, as a voter in the top 25 poll, it gets confusing because you have to figure out at what point do I give up on this team because their star player is no longer there? Maybe they're they're beating lesser opponents with uh, without that player, and it just gets a little confusing. But, yeah, from a team perspective, I think you'd rather it happen early. Another week of head-scratching um, results, sir, uh, In the, especially the men's side of things. I'm just about ready to give up, uh, and we're just rolling into the season here. Um we look at just a couple on the men's side. I want to make sure I called up the men here. I did. Um, Amherst losing to Westfield State. That one is a head-scratcher. Stevens Point barely gets past Wilmington and beats Christopher Newport today. North Central loses to Benedictine. Um, Whitman loses to Colorado College, but maybe that's not as much of a head-scratcher as, as one would think. And then in receiving votes category, uh, Rochester losing to, to Hobart. Wheaton losing to Ripon, though I think you're on the boat of why is anybody voting for Wheaton. Um, again, some of these kind of, we're, we're, we're getting used to it, but it's still strange to see these strange results. It is. You know, not all of those were completely head-scratching, as you just pointed out. I, the, the Amherst loss to Westfield State oh. was the absolute bombshell, right? That I saw that score, and I had to, like, click five different places just to, to make sure that that was <laughs> yes. real, Yeah. So that was a big deal. North Central losing at home to Benedictine. Um, that was very surprising to me. But I do think Benedictine sitting there at 6-1 and one, is a, a team we probably should be talking about in the top 25 poll. They have a pretty impressive resume that they've built now at Benedictine. Uh, the Worcester loss, you know, the, the margin of victory for Worcester losing to Mount Union, that to me was a big deal. And it surprised me quite a bit. Um, I, Augsburg losing to lacrosse, I think as this conversation goes on, we need to talk about lacrosse. They're, they're really good, I think. And, uh, you're right. It's, it's one of those years where there's a ton of parody and the top 25 doesn't resemble what it did 15 years ago, 10 years ago. When we did this when there was always like five teams at the top that barely ever lost. It's just a different yeah. D3 world and it's a good one. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's fun, though I will admit, listen, I took a little bit of a page out of your book where you talked about what you might do with Elmhurst and Carthage and 
Oshkosh and North Central and Augustana. I took a page out of your book and I and I did my top twenty five. I apologize to all those who expect me to blog. Just a little too crazy right now. Should have at least tweeted out a picture of my ballot. So I actually ended up working from the bottom up, if that makes sense, because I had to figure out. Okay, there's no way I'm putting Elmer's five. So I got to put them where I think they are and then move teams behind them and then fill the hole in ahead of them. And it was a headache. I thought about starting over, but that wasn't going to help me. And now we get more results that add more information and it doesn't necessarily make it any easier. I think the, the sooner that as a voter that you can give up on your preseason expectations, we talked about this a lot last week. Yeah. Now, we're a week deeper now. I think the sooner you can put that in the rearview mirror, uh, in for example, North Central is the perfect example. I thought North Central was uh, the number one team in the country coming in. I, I voted them one. The CCIW coaches considered them the preseason favorite in the league. Uh, and everyone around the CCIW considered them the preseason favorite. But the sooner you can put that away and say that doesn't count for anything, and now here's some results. They lost the home game to Oshkosh. Um, great team, obviously. They lost a home game to Benedictine. Now you got to vote for North Central just based on what you're seeing this year. I think the voting's easier when you can just look at this season's results. Yeah, I agree with you to some degree. I I, th- I think the worry is that at some point you, you do it too soon um, because you do know the talent that is there and you got to understand there's some gremlins out of the gate. That said, you're right. Some of the results have got to stand out, but I have Amherst 6. I don't like Amherst six on my ballot, but I got to fill in the hole somewhere. Um, I, I moved Marietta up. I got a little nervous about that. Um, I put center at 15. I got a little nervous about that, but it just fill in the holes. And I ended up with Augustana out of my ballot because I ran out of room. Well, they were, they were 24 for me. Augustana was my 24 and they lost today at WashU, and you know, for me, sometimes a, a close loss on the road against a great team equals a a, a win against a lesser team. I mean, so yeah, I, I'd agree I with that. I don't know that I'm going to bump Augie out of my ballot, but you know, maybe they'll stay 24. Um, so I don't think you were crazy to not have Augustana, and we can talk about the CCIW. There's there's five teams that could be in the poll. In fact, Massey has five. Oh, teams. you're already going to Massey. Well, look, I know it's not, it doesn't have enough data quite yet, but there are five legitimate votable CCIW teams right now, and that five doesn't include um, North Central. So um, it, it is a crazy, crazy picture right now in the CCIW, and we can, we can kind of get into some of those teams, but um, some of these leagues, if you look at the NESCAC, the NESCAC is going on a similar road. If you look at the number of votable teams there, very quietly, the Wisconsin Intercollegiate is starting to have several other teams emerge other than Oshkosh and Platteville. So some of these powerhouse leagues have multiple candidates now emerging. Yeah, we can certainly. Uh, I think when Ryan comes on, I'd love to chat more about, you know, how many are is too many. I think I voted for four teams out of a conference in the past. But sometimes you start wondering how many have you gone crazy. Um, anyway especially with the amount of parity there is in division three. Now um, the, the question becomes a lot this time of year too, is how much are you discounting a win that ends up really being a good win? And how much are you ignoring a loss? It should be a red flag for you too. That's the other tough part of this time of year. 
I'm really big on strength of schedule. I think, you know, you know from all the years we've been doing this is that I like teams that, that play good teams. And I look a lot at who teams are playing. So for me, like, in, you know, Augustana losing today at Wash U would be example of a game where I'm like, hey, that was a they led that game with mm-hmm. a minute or two minutes to go, whatever. It was basically a one basket game. Uh, for me, that's a, a loss where it almost increases their top 25 resume for me. Whereas, I don't know, some of these teams that are just playing very, very weak opponents and winning by 30 points, I, I kind of look at those like I'm not voting for you until you beat like somebody in the top 150 or so. You know, And uh, that, that's kind of the tricky thing about this, this time of year before there's a lot of conference games. Uh, by the way, the quick note on the Massey, I joked with Bob, I don't tend to look at Massey until sometime in January because I just feel the D1 is too much of an influence. Um, and I, I mean D1 in the sense that a lot of these teams play D1s in what are exhibition for D3, but in Massey, they get pulled in because they play the D1 in a real game. I don't want to get in the weeds. But my point being is I usually wait for more data before I even take a peek. Um, Jack, the forehead is on our, our YouTube page and wants to ask us about center. Listen, Jack, we'll get to it. I love the name, Jack, the forehead. Um, let's talk about our dubious deep dive and debatable team. Um, I'm firing a little bit, um, um, off the hip a little bit because I didn't get as much time to dive into this, doing all the work I was doing with Navy, um, women's basketball and stuff. Um, but let's start with debatable. You're going a little bit different road. I kind of like it. Usually we pick one out of the top 25. You're picking one. That brings up a good topic. When do you stop ignoring a record if you know if you get my drift? I'll let you go from there. Yeah, I think the debatable team that, that I'm gonna put on the table is Muhlenberg. They're now they're now eight and oh, which is fantastic, of course. And then you start you have to look at okay, well, who are the eight against and are they a team that I should be voting for? And at what point can you just not ignore a team that is undefeated? I'm still not there on Muhlenberg at 8 No, You know, I, we just talked about Massey not being uh, a great resource quite yet. But for strength of schedule, I, I think it is because most things are relative. And Massey has Muhlenberg's strength of schedule in Division Three at number 306. Hmm. And so for me, okay, 8 No, And I always, I always have that test where I, I pick a team and I say, you know, what would Muhlenberg's record be? If they played Wabash's schedule, if they had just played at Elmhurst, would they have beaten Elmhurst? That's an impossible debate to have in your head, but I try to have it. And so for me, I personally need a team like Muhlenberg to, to show me more than they have so far with strength of schedule and a quality win. Uh, I don't know where you stand on them, Dave, but I won't have them in my ballot quite yet. Yeah, you know, I'm think, I'll probably have them out for a little bit longer. I'll just play the devil's advocate just to, to be fair. Uh, I think sometimes when you start winning enough games, you got to respect what a team is doing, especially how they're doing it. But you look at the fact that they played really, to be blunt, no one of strength. Uh, DeSales might be their best game on that. Maybe DelVal, um, maybe Moravian. And those in the first three games, uh, they they easily handled DeSales. They barely got past Moravian. They had a tight game with DelVal. They had a tight game with Newman. Newman's going to be good, but they're not going to be great. The real test for them comes this week. They will play home against Hopkins. I've seen Hopkins twice already. I am telling you, they are a good team. Now, they didn't play 40 minutes against McDaniel. And I took on air, made a comment that 
coach wasn't removing the starters for a reason. He had some of his starters still in some of his reserve. And then late in the game, had to put the starters in because he was. they had gone, oh, McDaniel had cut a 30-something-odd lead to like 18 and like 90 seconds. It was ridiculous. But that will give us our first barometer. And so sometimes, Bob, I don't know about you, but sometimes I will sit here with a team like Muhlenberg, who's undefeated, off to a good start. And let's let's give them credit where credit's due. Kevin Hopkins is doing a great job with that program. They only had 11 wins last year, and he's nearly at that total. But when I see a game like Hopkins ahead of them, I will not vote waiting for that game. I don't want to put them in and then pull them out when I overreacted when I've got a barometer check ahead of me. I do the same thing. I, I have a little list of teams off on a thing I just call my watch list, and a lot of them I won't vote until a game that's on, you know, hey, on December 10th, I know that they play this team, and that's going to be a chance to, to really assess how good they are or how good they're not. And uh, with them, I agree. I'm looking forward to that game this week. And I think you and I are both saying this, the same thing on the debate wall, I guess, is, is that right now we're both not uh, not voting for Muhlenberg, but they're very much a team we're, we're looking at. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, man, I, I almost dove into them last week, to be honest with you, because I've been impressed with what they're doing. I think they've got the right thing. And by the way, if they are that good, the Centennials, even more of a dogfight than everybody thought it was going to be with Swarthmore, Hopkins, Muhlenberg, um, and potentially a couple others in there like Ursinus who are going to play spoiler. Um, but you, you've got this same conversation with Randolph-Macon, who's still undefeated. I know they're ranked, but how high should they be ranked? You get into that conversation. Um, Johns Hopkins is, un, is unranked, as we mentioned already. Uh, Center's been having a good season. There's a lot of teams who are undefeated, and you sit there having a debate, because not all of the undefeated are top 10 teams. They shouldn't go ahead of everybody who's got a loss or two losses or whatever. So the debate really becomes, how do you dive into a schedule? And I think that's a fair debate to have with Muhlenberg. They just haven't played anybody of substance. Washington College this week, Johns Hopkins this week, Haverford a week after that will give us a good sense of where they are. Uh, I've been told Haverford may be a really good men's team this year um, ahead of the, the break. And then we can decide whether they're worthy of a top 25 vote. I think that's a fair, but instead of a debate between you and I debating the team, it's more about how we're debating putting somebody in our back in our in our ballot. Yeah, it, it's one of uh, there's a there's a list of probably ten teams that I'm in the same spot on, and I'm like, hey, I'm just not ready to pull the trigger. Sure, but a game coming up, and uh, those games are going to be going to be key for me, and more importantly, key for that team in their in their season. Let's go with dubious, sir. Um, who is your dubious team of the week? Yeah, I'm going to pick on a team for the second week in a row. Wow, <laughs> um, you took the easy way out. Yeah, dubious, uh, dubious for the fact that they're rated number three, and that's Amherst. I mean, look, <laughs> they're rated. So look, they're rated number three, and their SOS in Massey is three hundred and forty-five. Three hundred forty-five, and they're they're three. To me, if you're gonna if you're gonna play strength of schedule three forty-five. And we're going to usher you into the top five because you're the favorite in a great conference. And you're a great program that does well every year. To me, you've got to be undefeated at this point. Like, you have to take a huge hit when you lose to Westfield State. That's just kind of how I'm looking at this. And I don't know where I'm dropping Amherst after that loss. But and to, to be honest, I can't remember where I had them, whether it was four or five or six. But 
that has to that that loss has to carry a big penalty because there's no other decent win that you can lay your head on with Amherst. And again, I'm trying to move into this season being what I'm looking at as opposed to what I thought coming in. And so for me, my dubious team is the placement of Amherst. Yeah, you know, interesting enough, I thought about them myself. Uh, I will just play devil's advocate for a moment. Uh, we know the Mammoths have good talent. We know they're a good squad. Granted, Dave Hickson, not their head coach right now. It's Aaron Toomey on the interim status as Dave Hickson's on sabbatical. I had mentioned I thought they're already too high on my ballot, but I still think they're good. You're right, a loss from Westfield State and, and made me feel already very dubious about the Mammoths. I think they've risen a little too high. Number three, I think, is wacky. I also think voting for Williams right now is wacky. They're four and two, and I don't even think they feel they're that good a team, but they're not even in the ballot. So I agree with you. My team will be Nichols, and I feel really, really bad because we just talked about the fact that they may have lost Cunningham for the season. But my thought on this was before they got ranked. I haven't voted for Nichols at all. Now, I made the mistake of voting for Salem State. We can have that argument until we're blue in the face. But I didn't vote for for Nichols, and it's because I thought Echeveria was too good a player to just allow them, yeah, I know his his brother's there, but I, I can't just say, oh, yeah, he's just the same guy in a younger age. I didn't feel Nichols brought back enough to be a top 25 team right now. Um, they're, they're off to a 5-0 start. Congratulations. Beat Eastern Connecticut. Okay. Beat New England College. Granted, New England College has an upset on their record this year, but still, okay. Had a five-point win over Anna Maria. Had a dominating win over Worcester State. And had an eight-point win over Trinity, Connecticut. Okay. Doesn't tell me anything. And for them to be as high as they are, especially when there's someone like me not even voting for them, and I'm not saying I have extra points. I just mean there's not everybody voting for them, and they're sixth. That means some people have them really high. Yeah, I've got them somewhere around 10, I believe. And that's a good example of one where, honestly, the placement has to do with, with last year and preseason expectations. For me, uh, it that's a tough one for me. They haven't lost, right? So, right. so when do I, I – I'm looking at them saying the same thing you are. Like, boy, they're, they're too high. Like – if they played Augustana on a neutral floor, I think Augustana would win by 15 points. But yet I have Augustana 24 and Nichols 10th. That doesn't right. make sense. Right. That's sort of the way it goes for now. I don't have any reason to drop them. Um, that's a tricky one. And that's another one where I'm looking at their schedule like, okay, give me a game that I can use as a measure here. Because right. I don't feel very comfortable where I have them. I think they're too high. I think the first time we're going to get it is December 14th at Hamilton. Yeah, agree. And then they take a break, and they take on Emerson and Tufts. So Tufts on January 4th is our next one. Yeah, so, Tufts will be a good one, too. Hey, listen, I'm not voting for Nichols, I think, until that Hamilton. And again, I feel bad because we're hearing this Cunningham news that he may be out with an ACL, and that, that certainly I feel bad for Nichols. But I, I'm not even voting for them. You have them at 10, and they're at 6. So yeah, someone's making up for my votes. That, that's the interesting thing. Every year there's some teams that, you know, Last year, it was Whitworth. Like yes. you, I was not voting for Whitworth, and you were voting for Whitworth like fifth or sixth or I seventh. Know. Yeah. So every year, there's there's a team like this where, and that's why there's 25 voters. There, right. the, we have 25 right. voters in this because you have 25 sets of eyes, 
and 25 people watching games and paying attention, and you average all those votes out, and there comes the poll, and it accounts for different opinions and different perspectives, and, and it, it usually works out pretty well. You're exactly right. Let's talk about deep dive, sir. Who is your deep dive team? You know, I intentionally didn't read the rules of what the deep dive is because I didn't want the rules to exclude me from picking oh, this. Oh, piss poor. You this just is, wanted an easy answer. Yeah, this is not – I'm going into – I'm going as deep here. This is really deep into the woods. I'm going into the perennial best conference in Division Three. Oh, wow, deep you really went into the woods, sir. <laughs> but here's here's how I justify it. So okay. I had to make up some stuff to justify it, and I'm justifying it because this team only received one – measly little poll vote point <laughs> last time. And it wasn't for me. And that is a Wisconsin lacrosse. Sure. Wisconsin lacrosse is not a team that we have talked about. It's not a team we talked about coming in. They had one vote. And Wisconsin lacrosse is sitting here at 6-0 and at this point in the season. And I think that's a team that as you start to look at the the, the WIAC, right? And, and they beat Wartburg. Or I'm sorry, they beat Wartburg and Augsburg. Augsburg is ranked. So lacrosse um, beat Augsburg, and they're 6-0. and To me, when you're undefeated and you've got a great win like that, now I'm all in. And then you put the tag WIAC next to you, and I'm really getting excited um, because you know I like these power conferences, Dave. Um, yeah. so <laughs> my deep dive team comes from the, uh, the powerhouse WIAC, and I think that is my third – Wisconsin intercollegiate team in my ballot would be a lacrosse. Uh, I listen, I think, I think it's a, a valid one. Lacrosse certainly looking good. I think the, I think the WIAC top will be a little bit more interesting than people think. I said earlier in the show, I don't think Stevens point and some others are going to be as competitive as we thought they were going to be, but we'll wait for that to play out. Interesting enough. Jack, the forehead brought up the one I was thinking about. And I think he's emailed me, Jack Keitel. Uh, saying about the ranking, what do you do with center right now? Six and one, three road wins, a correction, four road wins, one neutral win, road win against number 14, Wabash, and Transy. 20-point win against Covenant, uh, who has, the all, as he points out, All-American preseason in Crumley. Jacob Bates averaging 24-plus points a game, nearly 10 rebounds a game, um, et cetera, et cetera. He's, he's my deep dive. I, I, center, I moved to 15. Now, granted, I had to fill some holes based on your tech, your, your idea. You got stuck in my darn head when I went to, to put my ballot together about shifting people around and didn't go with what I usually do. Uh, and by the way, I didn't mind that. Don't get me wrong. But I think center, Greg Mason's got an interesting team. Remember, this is a team that just missed out in the in the NCAA tournament last year and arguably may have gotten screwed. Um, them and LaGrange, was it last year, um, that we thought would come out of that area and didn't? I get all of the years, like, if, if the LaGrange thing was 21 years ago, Dave, I couldn't tell you, but right. I think it was LaGrange. Yeah, I really no, I'm with you, too. Stuck in my head. So... You know, center gets bumped out, arguably maybe should have been in over some others. Um, they've got a really good team. They've been on my radar. I didn't vote for them initially, but I was waiting to pull the trigger. The win, he, listen, we'll, we can talk about the win over Wabash, which was pretty impressive. We can talk about the win over Transylvania the next game out, both of them at buzzer beaters. And yes, I understand they beat, they lost to Case Western Reserve, but the one that jumps out of me was they beat Greenville to start the season. And that's why I give him a pass on Case Western. That was the next day. Case Western was the next day after the Greenville game. So I give him a slight pass. But they go beat Greenville. They beat Wabash. I think Transylvania is a better team than people realize. They beat them. Covenant, 
listen, yes, All-American, but they're not the, a world beater. They've got some games ahead of them I want to see. they got Marymount ahead of them. They're going to have another game against Transylvania, if you can believe it, um, at least according to our records. I might be wrong on that. But I think center's better than people realize, and I'm comfortable voting for them. Maybe not higher than 15 right now, but I think they're good. I do, too. Um, I, I had them 25 on my ballot last week, and I had Wabash as the first team not on my ballot. So Wabash is not in. Center was in. I have no reason to move center out of my ballot. To me, they're, I've watched them one full game and maybe 25% of another. I think they're good. I Now, look, I, this is a theme that I have going in general, and I said this last week, that I've never seen a year like this because I'll repeat what I said last week is I'm not as high on Swarthmore and even Emery as I think you and Ryan are. I think you guys are really, really high in Swathmore, and I am too, by the way. I am, my, one and two. They're my number one. They're, those are my one and two as well. What I'm saying is I still feel, I'll say what I said last week, I may have picked a bad team as my example, but to me, if you put Swathmore in a neutral court with WashU, who I watched today, I don't know. To me, that seems like you might favor Swathmore by two or three points, but not that many more points than that. And I'd even go deeper than that. Carthage isn't in the top 25 right now. They should be, by the way, and Elmhurst should be. But if you put Swarthmore up against Carthage and Elmhurst, I think Swarthmore might be a three or four point favorite and no more. So my point in all this is just like, is center a top 25 team? I think so. But are, are there 10 other teams behind them that could be better? Sure. Are there 20 more teams? I mean, it's, it's a year where... There's incredible parity from not only 1 to 25, but down to like 35. Um, that I'm really stuck on that for the theme of the season, and I am voting for center, and I, I think they're a good team. No, and, and that you, you hit the nail on the head. It's about the parity thing. Listen, I will not argue with you that Swarthmore wins, I think, by a few more points over Wash U than you're giving them 2 to 3. I, I'm high on Wash U. Uh, I have Wash U 5th. On my last ballot, I, I think they're a really good team, but because of parity, we can't expect like on the women's side that the number five team in the country is going to demolish the number 20 team in the country on the men's side. Those are nip and tuck games now. And I think that's what makes not only the top 25 more fun and makes voting a lot of fun because we have all these teams to consider, but it also makes you have to understand just because a team's not in the top 25 doesn't mean they can't get a win and they can't play another team tight because everybody's good. Yeah, the, the other thing you have to do is you kind of have to erase from your head your preconceived notions of what you think of each spot in the poll. You know, sure. so like when, when I think of when I say like number three stuck in my head is like is like Stevens Point with Jason Kelso and Nick Bennett. <laughs> Yeah, you know, like, yeah. to me, that's a number one, two or three team right there. Sure. Or, you know, my alma mater, Illinois Wesleyan's teams with Dalschitz and Emilianovich and Freeman. And, and, and so that to me is a top five team, right? Well, this year, if you look at our top five, Middlebury is number five right now. Yeah. And I look at Middlebury and I think of, let's say, not even receiving a vote, Illinois Wesleyan, the team that I watch more than anyone, obviously. I would like Illinois Wesleyan's chances to be favored in a game against Middlebury. I could be completely wrong, but when I watch those two teams play, I don't see any difference. 
So that's where I'm starting to just generate this theory that um, there is incredible parody and uh, it makes it very fun to follow and it makes it fun to be a poll voter and a poll follower and all of those things. Yeah, I'm 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 blown away by the talent now in the men's side and the women's starting to show signs of that. But on the men's side, and, and again, it can make a pull your hair out when you're voting because you've got 40 teams you want to put on the ballot and, and you can't justify 40 teams on a top 25. But listen, I've got Guilford 23 and we can argue whether they're a top 25 team, but you can also argue um, just as strongly that they deserve to be there. And I got Wabash 22. Uh, I've got Whitworth at 14 and WPI at 13. And we can have the same 40 teams and come up with very different ballots because they're all such good teams. No one is head and shoulders dominating. Even Nebraska Wesleyan. We didn't even vote for them that year. They went on that tear. They were the, they were the last pool C team in when right. they won the national championship. When, and they were phenomenal. Yeah. They, in fact, I, I think it's, maybe we have that right. They, well, they were I, deep. They end up winning their pool A, I want to say. But I think you're they, right. I think had they been a pool C, they've been a tough one. They probably would have been out, you know. And right. so we've been seeing this this trend emerge for probably six, seven, eight years, maybe. But to me, I mean, this is the culmination of all all of that. I just there is not a Wisconsin intercollegiate team that is head and shoulders better than everyone else. Now, Oshkosh may go on to win the national championship. They may not lose another game. I don't know. But I've seen them enough to say they're a really good team, but you put them against these other good teams, and you know they could win, they could lose, it could go either way. There's not a CCIW team that is head and shoulders better than everybody. I don't think Swarthmore Agreed. is head and shoulders. I don't think Emory is. I don't think one of the NESCAC teams – Agreed. And so we, I don't think, I can't remember a season like this because every other season I can remember, there was always somebody at the top that was a clear like one, two, three. And while we have a clear one and two, I just think the level of parity between one and two and the rest is uh, is incredible. Last year might have been similar. Yeah. But no, you're right. We've, we've had a top and then the parity has been building underneath it. But the top's been eroding. And now it's not fully eroded, but it's certainly gotten there that having six votes, six different teams for number one wouldn't shock me midway through the season. Yeah, and I got I give a lot of kudos. This comes down to coaching and recruiting. You know, there's yep. there's tremendous coaching at Division Three, and there are more programs than ever that are going out and trying to be good at men's basketball. That's what this comes down to. If you looked at this thing 20 years ago, 30 years ago, I don't know of 400 Division Three teams. There was some large percent that just weren't really trying to win that hard. They didn't have the resources put to men's right. basketball. They didn't have the right staff in place. They didn't have the right budget, the right recruiting uh, strategy. Now, out of 400 teams, boy, there are just a whole bunch of programs that are going after it. And it is it is leading to the talent being spread out more across all of these programs it's leading to programs that we don't think of as men's basketball powerhouses swathmore being the best example swathmore is the number one team in division three and uh it just takes a coach and a staff to come in and an athletic director that believes and resources 
to, to start building, you get one great player. And then the next year you get another one. Then you get another one. You start building it, right? And that's what's happening right now in Division Three, and it's it's really cool to watch. Yeah, agreed. And and Swarthmore, throughout the department now, it, it is caught on. I almost want to walk into my alma mater's president's office and go, you see them? <laughs> right. How about we start doing that? Uh, Bob, before I let you go, we've gone way long. I, I appreciate your time, and I appreciate everybody who's tuned in here. Got to figure out a way to do these segments even better, but... We had John Tower on. We we mentioned at the beginning the Mayak situation. I've never really gotten your opinion. I'm just you're just your quick gut shot one. I'm sure we'll talk more about this down the road. But since John was on, your thoughts on what what happened in the off season? Yeah, I'm I'm completely shocked. You know, to me, St. Thomas is one of the the programs you put on a pedestal in Division Three across all sports. Um, if we're talking men's basketball here, that is certainly the case. And I think the last thing you said before we came into this thing was, is dead right, which is those teams that didn't like it should have gone to another conference that was just a little better fit for them. You know, maybe the Midwest Conference, um, the way they're set up with St. Norbert at the top, et cetera, maybe that was a better fit than staying there. St. Thomas didn't do anything wrong. Now, I do. I think there's there's some other side to this that I don't quite, I'm not in the know enough, right? St. Thomas has incredible resources and they have some competitive advantages. And some of these smaller schools are sitting there saying, we can't compete with them. To me, then they should have moved on to where they felt like they could. And you leave Mm -hmm. the IAC with St. John, St. Thomas, and whoever else wants to play the game. But I think it was absurd what happened. And I hate to lose St. Thomas because they're a great program and they've done everything right. Yeah, and it's likely we will lose them. I mean, I'm not saying they're going to do one, but the Summit League is certainly interested. They will do what they can to get them in the door. Um, we'll see what happens, but I appreciate your thoughts. I know we'll talk more about this down the road. Bob, thanks so much. Final thoughts? Uh, it's going to be a good week coming up. We have several good games. Check on the scores page. Kind of go day by day, and you're going to start to see some really good top 25 matchups. So we've got a, a really good week ahead of us. Sorry, I cut you off in the middle of that, but nobody missed anything. You're right. Good week ahead of us as we head towards the holidays. Thanks so much, buddy. Look forward to talking to you down the road. See you, Dave. Thank you. Bob Quillman joining us on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline. Again, if you'd like to stream or use production truck software or whatever the case may be, uh, log on to blueframetech.com um, and uh, join them there. And uh, more importantly, tell them I sent you so they know we're real. Um, quickly on the women's side, don't want to forget them, though we don't, I don't think we have as much to worry about. On the women's side, again, Transylvania lost. They'll probably fall down the pole a little bit. Augsburg lost. They'll move down. Platteville lost. They'll move down. Wheaton will move down. And teams like Messiah, Trinity, and Baldwin Wallace being idle makes us a little bit crazy. Um, I don't think maybe anybody falls out necessarily because a lot of teams in, in you know, behind them, um, are lost as well. They'll climb out Mud Scripps at a, at a big week with three wins so i think the women's poll maybe stays a little bit status quo i don't know if anybody falls in or out depends on how people react uh, to some of those losses but maybe just gets shuffled up uh, I, I think the women's side is pretty pretty uh, low-key this week even though we've had a number of losses in there this time around that's going to wrap it up. We've gone a little bit long here. We'll try and figure out how to trim it up. So, again, this week we will not have a Thursday show. My intent is, knock on wood, to turn around an interview I had with Bill Raleigh, um, 
about the rules and the changes we had this season. I had a fascinating conversation with the women's basketball's rules secretary today. Run into him a few times, and we had a fascinating, very quick conversation because we were both working. I'm going to see if I can talk to him also during the week here. Maybe we can include him, but maybe we'll get him on another time. But we'll, we'll possibly turn the podcast, not a video, but a podcast around with Bill Raleigh at some point this week. And then back on the air next Sunday, a little bit like today where it may be a little bit more themed versus reacting to things. I am calling the Division Three Men's and Women's Soccer Championships with Ira Thor once again. So we'll be in Greensboro, North Carolina. I'll be traveling back that day. I, th- I can't remember what we did last year. I know I called an ice hockey game on the way home, so I'm 99% sure we did not do hoops, so we may have pushed it to a Monday night instead. Right now, we will keep it on Sunday. There's an outside chance we move it to Monday. We shall see. My Mondays have changed a little bit, so that's not as easy to do, but we'll see about that. But stick with us at Twitter, at D3Hoopsville, on Instagram, at D3Hoopsville, at Facebook, at Facebook.com, slash Hoopsville. Of course, you're watching us on YouTube. We're at YouTube.com, slash D3Hoopsville. Uh, Mark, thank you. Great show, as always. Thanks for your guts, getting to the guts of D3 basketball. Mark, I appreciate that. Kind words. So... Again, no show on Thursday, interesting enough, by the time we get Thursday's show on the air, we'll only get a couple of those before we take a holiday break. Uh, but we will be on the air hopefully next Sunday. Similar thing where we'll get a lot of the show kind of put together uh, while we're on the road, and then um, we will uh, we'll produce it when we arrive here. Um, yeah, that's kind of it. And, and most likely, just... For any of you out there who care, we'll probably do a show through the 19th of December. So a show on the on the 8th, a show on the 15th, a show on the 9th, uh, 12th, I'm sorry, the 8th, the 12th, the 15th, the 19th. Then we'll take our holiday break, and we probably will be back on January 2nd. It's a little close to the holiday, but I don't know if I want to wait to the 5th, but we'll see. We'll cross that bridge later. If you're interested in advertising or being a sponsor on this show, or you know anybody who might be interested in advertising or sponsoring this show, please contact us. In the meantime, I want to thank our partners at the Women's Basketball Coaches Association. They sent me a great shirt. We will wear it next week. Um, If you didn't see it, we tweeted out a a, a sneak peek at it. We'll wear it next week, we hope. I also want to thank our, our friends, the National Association of Basketball Coaches, for their assistance. Also, of course, D3Hoops.com and everybody who helps us like Ryan and Bob and uh, Gordon and Pat, etc. And of course, we want to thank our partners at Blue Frame Technology for their ability to stream the, the show for us and be a platform, uh, most importantly. But of course, also for their um, their Roku availability, or maybe it's Amazon Fire, or Apple TV, or Android TV. You see it streaming there on T- Team One Sports is what you want to look for. Don't worry, I haven't gone away from you. I just wanted to show you the graphic. Team One Sports is where we're streaming. I'm, I've got the big screen up right now. I can see us up there. I know it works. It looks great. Studio looks great. And again, a shout out to Jared Ronsky for helping me rewire some things. So I've gotten some new toys. Maybe he needs to come back and help me with that. Uh, and of course, my wife for my wife Ann for putting this. Uh, studio together. It looks great. We look forward to adding some more things to it as the uh, season progresses. If you have anything, by the way, you want to send us to put in this studio, the the bookshelves will get filled with some books sometime in the near future, but we've got room for some more jerseys and more things to hang. Send them our way. You'll see some changes as the season progresses. That will do it for us. I want to thank our guests, of course, Nick DePillow at Scranton and Sports Information Director there, John Gatto, for their help, uh, for his help in getting Nick on the show. I want to thank Nick. I, I really miss Saturday 
sad. I'm going to miss him on Saturday. They'll look forward to seeing him in Vegas. And I want to thank John Tyler for coming on, not only talking about his team, but talking about the Mayank situation and what's going on in St. Thomas. Really good insight from him and really appreciate his time. I uh, also want to thank Gene McGivern uh, for his help in getting John on the show. Uh, thanks to Bob Coleman for coming on as well. You've been listening to Hoops Hope, presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC Studios. Guests appear on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline. We'll be back next Sunday with more Hoopsville. That will do it for us. By the way, when he, Bob talked about Muhlenberg, I thought we were talking about football for a minute. How about Muhlenberg getting all the way on to uh, the next round and North Central knocking off Mount Union? I said on Twitter, I didn't think that was a big upset. Big upset for today, for this season, I didn't think it was a big upset. It is most certainly a huge upset historically. Congratulations to North Central on that. And I look forward to seeing who is the new champions in Division Three men's and women's soccer next week. Good night, everybody.